The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. If you like our show, you're going to love the official Lakers podcast on Podcast One. Join host Mike Trudell and co-host Aaron Larsoul every Monday night as they discuss the Lakers news of the day, break down the games from the week, and have exclusive interviews from players, coaches, and staff. So don't miss the official Lakers podcast every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson. Is that energetic enough? Yeah, it's good. Nice. Yeah. You're all back then. You're recovered? Getting back. Getting back. We're here. Previewing what week are we in? Uh, 11? 11. Heading into 11. Week 11 in the NFL. We've gotten a lot of good feedback about our uh, fancy new audio stuff. Yes. We've got a new little box Because I can yell and not pierce anybody's ears, and you can whisper yeah. like you usually do, and people can hear you. we got a new little box here. I don't know what that one does. And then there's another box somewhere else as well. Two new boxes, both of which have combined, apparently, to make our audio better. Essentially, what this box has done has crept our audio back to average sound hmm. levels. Okay. Well, yeah. Higher yeah. quality. Actually, technically, it yes. takes my highs and brings them down. Yeah. And your lows and brings them up. Cranks them up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not wearing creeping back to an average today, though. It's another throw the damn ball shirt. Okay. Under there. Yeah. PFF shop. Check it out. I didn't feel like taking my pullover off. Apparently. To show it off. But we'll still sell it. Throw the damn ball shirt and hat over at the PFF shop. Your creep back toward average shirt, your Palazzolo for GM shirt, draft good player shirt, mm-hmm. all the, all my shirts. Yeah, yeah. Go get them. The, the draft shop. good players one has not been a runaway success. We got another draft season coming up. Yeah, be good. we should have pushed a fantasy season. Uh huh. I mean, I don't know how yeah. much push it, it's actually had. A lot of people on that page, I think, because you've tweeted it quite a lot. Uh, maybe the mustache it's, it's scared It's amazing how few of them have actually gone from there to buying it. The mustache scared them away. Yeah. It's all right, though. All right, let's get into the action. Mm-hmm. We got tonight Steelers at the Browns. Yes, we do. What do you think here, man? So what I, do you think people saw? Yes, what did they see? To me, I struggled to see a way the Browns win this one just because of how dominant that Steelers pass rush is. And one of the many things that's gone wrong for the Cleveland offense has been their pass protection and what that does to everything, yada, yada. So I just don't see that this is the game they get that fixed. I think they're going to be under pressure a lot. Baker Mayfield is therefore going to make some bad decisions. 
and things will bounce Pittsburgh's way. Now, I think, I think Cleveland starts. Cleveland starts their second half turnaround tonight. Hmm. It's just it's just going to look different. Watch. Okay. It's going to look different. Cleaner across the board, both sides of the ball. They're going to win. The other thing that's intriguing is whether they continue with this two running back offense that they had last week. It was like 43% of their snaps last week was some variant yeah. of two running backs on the field. A lot of Chubb and Hunt out there. Before, before that week, they'd only done it once in a game. Like they had three total snaps of wow. two running backs in the field at the same time. Um, and then there was 40% of their snaps last week. So how big a part of that, that are, their offense going forward does that become? Do they stay at 40 45%? Do they crank it up? Do they crank it down? Either way, that's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, and if you guys are listening on Friday, you already saw it. I think it'll be a good Thursday night game. I think you saw a good Thursday night game. Okay. Now let's get into the rest of the weekend, starting with, it's got to be the game of the week, Houston Texans at the Baltimore Ravens. Yes. From a quarterback match, matchup standpoint, doesn't get much better than this. Lamar Jackson, our number two graded quarterback right now, mm-hmm. going up against Deshaun Watson, two guys getting some pub in the MVP race. Yeah, the MVP off featuring Is that what you're calling it? Wilson. Yeah. So, somebody that. tweeted the other day, is this the most people have ever discussed MVP? I No, I think people always do, but I don't. But this is like... Because I'm always railing against it, so I, I'm railing against something every It was year. like Monday Night Football, though. Russell Wilson like completes a pass to put you know in overtime to put the Seahawks in position to win. It's like, there's your MVP. MVP, it's solidified. This pass has now sealed the... Oh, no, he just threw an interception. There goes his MVP hopes. Oh, wait, the Niners missed a field goal. Russell Wilson has an MVP game-winning drive opportunity. Okay, he's back, MVP. I think it's more that this is one of the most open MVP races for a while. Like most That's seasons, there's That's like true. one guy or maybe two that just run away with it. This year, you know, you can make a pretty good case for three, four, five different people, um, which I think probably helps how much people are talking about. It. I think in part, yeah, you don't have a uh, – Russell Wilson isn't real. Like in our grading, he's he's got a pretty good um, – he's got a pretty good lead from a passing standpoint. But Lamar's crept up on him and then – yeah, you've had other past years where, like, Rodgers was playing at a ridiculous level. Brady's been above everyone before. Peyton's done that before. Like, you don't have that. Mm-hmm. And um, there's just a lot of good quarterbacks leading good teams. And they all have their uh, high-end moments Yeah, where everybody can just tweet, that's your MVP. Look at this play, MVP. Right. So here are two of them, two of the candidates, um, Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson. And this, I think it's a really interesting game because of those two. They, whatever you think about MVP or not, they're two of the most dynamic and entertaining quarterbacks in the NFL right now, and they're going head-to-head. Yeah, this is great. I mean, I think last year we started to see the future of the AFC in really good hands from a quarterbacking standpoint. Now, granted, part of that was supposed to be Andrew Luck, but you had Mahomes breakout, you had Lamar winning a bunch of games last year and having the potential, which he's starting to live up to this year you had Deshaun Watson you know in his second year uh continuing his you know uh, you know after his really strong rookie season I mean you just have a lot of good AFC quarterbacks so we've already seen Lamar versus Mahomes twice and now we get a little Watson Lamar and these are also two teams that I think are looking to sort of crash the AFC picture like everyone always assumed it was the Patriots number one the Chiefs will be there when they have Mahomes because that offense is too scary not to be. 
And then coming up on the rails, it's, well, hang on, Baltimore just went and beat the Patriots. They've got Lamar Jackson. They've got a unique offense that nobody can replicate or emulate, rather. Um, so they're, they're a real contender. Their defense is rounding into form. And Houston, with Deshaun Watson, are always dangerous. You know? yeah. So those are the two teams that come playoff time could potentially make some noise and spoil the party of what everyone assumed would be the AFC championship game again. Let's start with what Baltimore's offense is doing, because as much as we rail against the running game here, I think we'll all admit a good running game, if you know that it can be good, is a good thing, right? I mean, that's, that's effective. And then the thing that the analytics guys keep saying is like, it's not that the Ravens are just running the ball just to run it. They're running it in favorable situations. They're running it they're not running it on second and long. Mm-hmm. So the three teams that are doing the best job of passing on second and long, which is a good move, Patriots, Cowboys, Ravens. So for a run-first team, it's not this run-run-pass. It's, it's a lot of play action. It's misdirection. It's pass to set up the run, run when you're supposed to. I mean, it, it's, it's the optimal play calling as well in Baltimore that makes our guys love John Harbaugh as coach of the year, plus all those fourth down decisions. Yeah, they run. So the an, yeah the analytics there that are cl- clearly driving the fourth down decisions, the when to go for it, to when not to, etc. Those are also influencing the play calling across the board. So as much as the Ravens are running the ball more than the average NFL teams, more than you know any NFL team, um, they're running it more. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing it in stupid situations all the time right there are, there are situations that are clearly not sensible to run in even though conventional wisdom used to be that they were right right so the second and long one is a good example you know you crap out on first down it's second and 10 there was a big there was a traditional conservative school of thought that said well let's run the ball let's try and get four of it back and then we get to third and manageable whereas realistically it's this is a suboptimal down in distance, the best way of converting is to take a shot twice through the air because on average, you're going to pass for significantly more yardage and you're going to run. We just have a better chance of picking this up if we have a couple of swings at passing the ball rather than running to get back to third and you know still pretty long. So they may be running the ball more than anybody else, but they're not, they are still allowing the analytics and the numbers to dictate when it is not wise to do so, which makes their offense more effective than it would be if they were just the most run-heavy team in the NFL, regardless of circumstance. Right. And, of course, you know, Lamar always changes the arithmetic yes. in the backfield when he does run the ball. On the other side, I do the, the Texans have shown flashes of integrating all those playmakers. They've, you know, they've Darren Fells as, like, a red zone threat. So they got, you know, the big body tight end. They've got Duke Johnson out of the backfield. They needed help for DeAndre Hopkins and at various times during the year when Will Fuller's been healthy hey there's a deep threat you know they've had uh you know Kenny Stills contribute they've had a whole bunch of different contributors this year than in past years uh plus Watson you know at the helm so I think that's made made them much more dangerous offensively rather than it just being this two-man game yeah and but really it does come down to Watson being he he's so such a great quarterback to watch because he makes some of the most exciting plays in the NFL. I mean, so does Lamar Jackson. But um, Watson makes some of the most exciting plays. But a lot like some of these other quarterbacks, they're not all 
some of these situations that he's in are of his own making, right? So it's a, it's a little bit like the thing we used to say about Andrew Luck in terms of you're getting all the credit for putting out the house fire that you started in the first place. Yeah, right. You know, there's some of that to Watson, but it's, it's within plays rather than within, within games. So Luck's thing was he used to set fire to the house in the first half of the game and then lead a, a valiant um, firefighting effort in the fourth quarter put out the fire and get all the praise for it. You're like, well, you know, if you just hadn't, if you just played well in the first half, we wouldn't have this problem. Deshaun Watson's thing is like within a play, you know, it's, it's like the Russell Wilson thing of dancing around, causing pressure to come on yourself, then having to make miracles happen to avoid the pressure and get rid of the pass and, and, you know, put it in the hands of the guy you're aiming for. It looks spectacular, but you might, a critic would point out that if you just got rid of the ball earlier, right. you wouldn't have been under pressure in the first place and you wouldn't have had to do that. So it's, it's a sort of fascinating balancing act of when are you better off just, you know, like stop making life more difficult for yourself. But on the other hand, if you're able to continue to do that consistently, it's pretty spectacular to watch. Yeah, but with Watson, I, th- I do think they've started to find that balance of, you know, schemed up plays where he gets the ball out of his hands and then those spectacular plays. That is going to be... I think the it's a little bit like Mahomes, but Mahomes I think took to the to the schemed up stuff a little bit quicker. Um, in part because he's got a top five play caller in Andy Reid. The thing that makes Mahomes so difficult in structure and outside of structure, Watson, the in structure plays are getting a little bit more efficient. And if you know that's that's when he becomes Michael Jordan, as Dabo called him. That's when he becomes that that superstar. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely gotten significantly better at getting the ball out of his hands quickly. Um, his average time to throw has sped up significantly. The percentage of plays that he gets the ball out of his hands in under two and a half seconds has gotten significantly higher as well. They're definitely getting better at getting the ball out of his hands. They or he or both are definitely getting better at getting the ball out of his hands and not inviting all of that pressure. But you still, I mean, that's, it's a thing that he tends to do. And you get a bunch of plays every single game where it's, you know, he causes himself some problems and then digs himself out of it spectacularly. On the other side of the ball, you've got the Ravens. And every week we mention, hey, they got Earl Thomas and Marcus Peters. Marcus Peters had the pick six last week. He continues to find the ball. He was he was starting to even in Los Angeles when he was with the Rams. So you get this dangerous playmaking secondary. And on the other side, I will have my, my weekly concern with the Texans secondary. Hmm. They had a nice week two weeks ago against the Jaguars. Gardner Minshew, they mixed it up a little bit. Gary and Conley looked pretty good. Played some zone, played some man. Like most teams, they're going to play a little bit more zone with Lamar, a little bit afraid of him taking off. But I've got my concerns about them covering on the back end. Yeah, and this is an interesting team to go up against when that is your concern because Baltimore primarily wants to throw to tight ends. You yeah. Know, Mark Andrews is their number one guy. Right. Now, they have hollywood brown so it's not like you can just forget about the wide receivers they're dangerous there but it's a it's a much more favorable matchup i think if you have a weak secondary than it is against a lot of teams yeah the the tight ends you know, so you got guys like benadrick mckinney are going to be key uh zach cunningham middle of the field uh coverage guys for houston in this one mm-hmm. against those tight ends um but again going back to baltimore and their decision making if again, if you just took PFF's axioms, you know, pass more on second and ten, tight end, you know, throw to the tight ends, that's more efficient. I mean, they're they're hitting on a lot of them. Yeah, throw into tight ends, the play action game, 
pass run tendency splits, fourth down decisions. They're doing a lot of a lot of things. And that's why you know, they're in line to get a bye at this point. Should be one of the games of the week here. Yeah, I mean, they already had an extremely strong sort of analytics department, if you like, and they added a bunch of people to it this offseason. You can see the impact it's having on the Baltimore Ravens, top to bottom. Yeah. You can see what it's doing to this team, and it's almost all positive. How would you say the, the one other thing we looked at coming into the season was they lost so much in their front seven. Zadarius so Smith, Terrell Suggs, they they had no pass rush coming in. Still don't. Added, and then we said they have one of the best secondaries. Now they've been banged up again. Jimmy Smith's always hurt in and out, in and out of the lineup. They added Marcus Peters to it. Um, what's his face? Young. Tavon. Uh, Tavon. That's what I thought. Tavon, what's his face? Young. What's his face? Young. Tavon Young got hurt. Um, but they still have a pretty good secondary. You know, I think it's... They started out slow, but I think overall it's it's working out for them. This, and that was essentially a coverage over pass rush roster building decision. Right. That's So that's the thing. It's like they, they lost some guys from the front seven. They didn't have... The pass rush wasn't great last year. It's definitely not great this year. They didn't really replace them with a whole lot. And it doesn't matter that much because they went hard after the secondary. And okay, the secondary took some time to get going, but those guys have either gotten healthy or gotten in the building they have the second uh, by the second lowest pass rush grade just pff grade behind miami second lowest pass rush grade eighth highest coverage grade and if you have the cover that, that is like the patriots of the last few years the, the last three patriots super bowl wins they've been top three in coverage and in the 20s in pass rush and if our if your coverage grade is good in pff terms it's almost like okay it doesn't matter what happened up front like you've you won more than you lost on the back end, and that's all that matters. Like, if you can cover when the quarterback has a clean pocket, which is going to happen 65% of the time, you're doing something well. And that's what the Ravens are kind of working toward. Yeah, they've only got two, uh, they've got five players that have double digit total pressures over the season. They only have one player that has more than 14. Yeah. So Matthew Judon has 34 total pressures. Nobody else has more than 14. Um, and the guys that have gotten so Pernell McPhee has 14 but it's taken 175 pass rushes yeah. to get that pressure Jalen Ferguson has 13 but it's taken him 122 pass rushes to get that many then you've got like Michael Pierce who has 11 but that's because Michael Pierce is like 500 pounds and you know and a, and a mobile run stuffer so again it's taken him 186 snaps of pass rushing to get 11 total pressures because the guy is not a pass rushing force so, yeah, Baltimore still doesn't have pass rush, but, you know, the analytics would suggest that if you focus on coverage more than pass rush, you will ultimately be in a good spot. So Baltimore's set up to do good things this year. Mm-hmm. We've learned a lot about them. Lamar's taken maybe the most improved player in the NFL. Yeah. I don't care what you say. I, I haven't said anything different. It's a general you. Oh, okay. Fine. I don't care what you say about his performance last year versus this year. Mm-hmm. He's not playing the same level. No. He's been he's better. Not. Yes. Dramatically better. Yes. If you think Lamar last he's year was the same he guy. Hitting. Yeah. If you think Lamar last year was the same guy that we've seen this year, you're out of your mind. Yes, his situation might be slightly better this year in terms of you, you've added a guy like Hollywood Brown. There are some other things to that offense that are maybe better. But if you think he was playing at this level on a throw-to-throw basis a year ago, and people just didn't notice, 
you're crazy. Even just and the fumbles, like all the fumbles that he had last year that he hasn't had this year. That that's been huge. Crazy and or should not be analyzing football. Oh wow, that's all I would that's say. A cheap shot. No, it's not. It's just a general. It's a general thing, Steve. If I just think if you can't see the difference between the two guys, you probably shouldn't be doing this. I just found an incredible number for later in the podcast. Oh yeah. As we've been doing this Can I give you an incredible fact that has literally nothing to do with football, but I found it out today, so I'm interested. Does it have to do with how I react to practical jokes? No, but I already knew that you didn't react well, and I, that was reinforced today. Hmm. I don't, I, yeah, I don't regret the decision. I, I, it was funny. I laughed. Other people laughed. You didn't. It wasn't a better joke than what we had for you on your birthday, but that's fine. <laughs> well, this is, you can't, yeah, that's what I'm saying, right? You can't whinge about it and then be a part of the orchestrator of that. Like, if you're going to roll with that, you have to expect it to come back at some point. Fine. Go ahead. What do you want to say? The other thing is, I wasn't even planning on it until, you know, Mark rolled in with his deadpan and you bought it. So I was like, well, okay, let's just let's roll with it. Okay. Yeah. So here's an interesting fact for you, right? Something came up on my timeline at some point about like a, you know, these insane hypercars that are all electric and will do naught to 60 in like two seconds. It's like at some point that has to become like a problem, right? Accelerating that fast. Yeah. Um, like my car doesn't four and a half, right? Having that speed, it's getting pretty sketchy, right? So, so it, this electric vehicle, so I started looking up like how fast insane things accelerate. You know, those top fuel dragsters, the long, thin things with the giant wheels at the back, those apparently hit naught to 60 in 0.8 seconds. But here's the interesting fact. They accelerate so fast that by the time the rear wheels have crossed the start line, they're already doing more than 60. Hmm. So just okay. basically in the length of the car to get across the start line, they're already doing 60. Wow. That's pretty rapid. It really has nothing to do with football. Nothing whatsoever. But how cool a fact is that? Oh, I was waiting for you to connect it to like no, Mark I told Jackson. You. I told you or... I had nothing to do with football at all. But that's, oh, that's cool. That's a cool fact, right? That's cool, yeah. Yeah, there you go. You know who else accelerates fast is Lamar Jackson. So I'm, yeah. I'm picking the Ravens. That's why you're That's why you're the host. I am the host. Yeah. Just tying it all together. That's such a professional. Wait till you hear this stat that I have. Okay. Got to wait for the... It's like 10 games away. <laughs> we both went Baltimore. Yeah, we're both taking Baltimore. Okay. And a few people are taking Houston, and then Nathan's picks have not been loaded into the spreadsheet, well, so he, I will not. He took too long, so I couldn't He waits until wait the injury him. report. I know. And the one week we told him to do it before then, he went 3-10. and 10. Yes, that's right. He so, needs to do it like the rest of us on a Wednesday in 45 seconds. Right. Consequently, me and Neil are now in the lead, and Nathan's fallen behind. Because one week he had to do it by the same rules as the rest of us. What a terrible week last the week, The wheels Nathan. fell off the wagon entirely. Embarrassing the company, 3-10. So he went 3-10 and 10 last week, and he is still six games ahead of Austin. Yeah, imagine if we looked at the injury report. Ever. Yeah. All right, let's move on. The other probably big game of the week here, he New England. Probably big game of the week. The big game of the week, New England Patriots at the Philadelphia Eagles. Super Bowl rematch, part three here. <laughs> who's going who's gonna to win the rubber match after? They're one-to-one in Super Bowl matchups here. Hmm. So I'm, I, the thing that interests me about this game is that this is the, well, I suppose last time was the start of New England's run against, like, decent teams, yep. right? Their schedule is staggeringly easy, like, for the entire year. Like, it's been a cakewalk until now. And if you look at, like, the remaining schedule, it's still ridiculously easy. They're like the it's 20- not really remaining, though. It's just, it's just been all the easy games at the top, all the tough parts in the middle, and then they finish with Miami. No, yeah, but if you look at their remaining schedule, they're like 25th in terms of strength of schedule. Really? Yeah. Even with, so you have Dallas, 
Well, that's the thing, right? So it's based off the ELO rankings that don't love some of the teams that they're facing, even you. if they're, you know, they've got some, they've got a decent record. On paper, it doesn't look tough because you get Dallas, you've got Houston, Kansas City, Buffalo still yeah. out there, and of course, there's Cincinnati and Miami are still right. in there. Too. That'll help a lot. Yeah, uh, but anyway, this is the sort of this is the next game in the start of the run against teams that are actually half decent, right? Um, so, and the, what's interesting is if you look at those ELO power rankings. Um, so our power rankings are based off this ELO model, right? Which mm-hmm. math people can tell you more about that. I don't really understand what exactly ELO is a so, guy rather than a thing. We, we we took the model, which was very much based off of how did you do against this other team? So like right. when the Ravens beat the Patriots, but also pretty it's, handily, it's yeah. going to up their ranking quite a bit. But yes. then ours uses our grades, not just say score and result. Right. So it's not so, you know, the bottom line of football is that the better team can lose games sometimes. Right. The better team doesn't always win a game. Right? Or, the, or the team that played better can lose the game and this model That's what will I'm saying, take advantage right? so of the, that. The yes. better team doesn't always win the game because yep. of the way, you know, a freak ball can bounce in a certain direction and suddenly that's a seven, you know, it's a 14 point swing and you end up on the crappy end of the scoreboard even though you were the better team throughout the game. So this ELO model, some, it does, most power rankings are basically just let's look at the standings and adjust it one or two yeah. based off gut feel. This actually is using the grading to tell you who the better team should be. So theoretically, you know, if these two teams met in the Super Bowl tomorrow, this is the one that should win because they're better, right? So the Eagles are a team that the ELO rankings likes quite a lot. They actually have them above Dallas despite, you know, they, they flip yeah. the standings order essentially. So the, the ELO rankings like the Eagles quite a bit, which – you know, again, it sort of boosts them further up this list of teams that the Patriots are playing. They're actually, you know, a relatively formidable team. Carson Wentz is playing extremely well, even though other quarterbacks have better numbers. Um, there, are, there are certainly problems on this Eagles team, but this is a fascinating matchup because I think it is a legitimate test for the Patriots. Yeah, and of course, you know, the last we didn't get to see Carson Wentz against the Patriots in the Super Bowl right. a couple of years ago, and when you talk about the Patriots' pass defense, which is still really, really good. I mean, the way they're playing this year. And, you know, Wentz is that guy that, you know, Belichick does a lot to try to keep mobile quarterbacks in the pocket. And Wentz isn't as mobile as Lamar, Lamar Russell Wilson, or Aaron Rodgers. But when he gets outside the pocket, he's extremely dangerous. So this is one of those games where I feel like New England goes in with this game plan, like, hey, keep this guy in, make him win from the pocket over and over again. But he can make those special outside-of-structure plays that if you're talking about New England's easy schedule that, that made them not look mm-hmm. that made them look like the 85 Bears early on it's because they're facing Luke Falk who can't do that and they're yeah. facing Josh Allen and they're facing whoever else along the way you know the Miami quarterbacks who just aren't able to do that stuff yeah so Wentz against this New England defense I mean I think this mini run in the middle of the season is going to tell us a lot more about the Patriots you know it, their schedule certainly at the start of the season was so absurdly easy that we, ju- we don't actually know how good they are yet. You know, the first game they had that was against a decent team and quarterback, they lost. Now, okay, it was close. and you know, I mean, Ro- I would say week one against the Steelers was pretty emphatic, though. Sure. Like 33-3 then, to with Ben Roethlisberger at the helm. Right, but Ben Roethlisberger's been playing badly for a while now, and the Steelers' defense isn't what it, or wasn't what it is now. Well, that's because they haven't played anybody good. I mean, that's part of it, right? But you even just bringing in Minka, Bud Dupree suddenly started playing. Like, there are, this I defense now is different to the way it was week one. Plus, week one is always kind of screwy in terms of what happens. Yeah, I think, I think bottom line for New England, they need to figure out the offense. The yeah. offense as a whole, 
has regressed. So the same way we're talking about um, Baltimore saying, hey, throws to tight ends are great. I really think the personnel decisions at tight end for New England and, and not having a Gronk replacement like two years ago. Yeah. All they could have drafted, speaking of the Eagles, Dallas Goddard. I mean, all these guys that have entered the league at tight end the last couple of years, they kind of had a shot at, right? They did not do anything to replace the tight end position. So now they're not even throwing there. And that's always been a high, I mean, it's a high production position for everybody, but especially in that New England offense. So they haven't replaced that, haven't really found that identity on offense. You got an aging quarterback who, again, I still, I would still say he's regressed to like 2014-ish Brady with just lesser weapons. Yeah. And that leads to, you know, mid-tier type of stats. You have, but the, oh, sorry, Karen. I'm just saying, but that, but that's going to be the key to New England season. I think the defense, it's good. Any I mean, given week, happens. they're very, very yeah. good. They can cover. They can, they can play championship level defense. But it's still going to come down to what they do, throwing the ball through the air. You have uh, and Keel Harry uh, highlighted, featured on your sort of your notes here. Is he playing this week? He's here. He's I mean, here. he's he's around. He might. He's it's been just practicing. A, I've seen him run. Routes where like he's back separated from you. Yeah, he's he's what? I've seen him run routes in practice where he wouldn't have separated from you. Oh, you've seen practice right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to know if they use him as like the as like a tight end. I'm, I mean, I'm really fascinated by what, what he is at this level because I, you know I think if you're scouting wide receivers, I think the first thing you start with is separation, route running. Does he get open? Right, the first thing, like job one. After that. Let's start looking at athleticism, speed. Yeah, he doesn't do that fantastic. well. You know, there's a list, right? And I think he doesn't separate at all. So ever. Um, but so the receiver on the other side, the Eagles have Alshon Jeffrey. Right. Is that like a, a best case type of scenario for the Patriots? Because Alshon Jeffrey's not the best separ- separator in the world. He's made a, a f- like Kelvin Benjamin hasn't been able to make a living as a contested catch guy because he's not just a bad route runner. Like he's, he's a bad contested catch guy. He's bad at that, but he also like leads like literally leads to like four or five interceptions per year because his route running is just yeah bad, bad, bad. Alshon has kind of made a living as a contested catch guy or you know uh, uber possession type of yes. receiver. I mean, is this Nikhil Harry's so the two highest things, end? No. Th- so the two things that I think Nikhil Harry does well is one, he's been spectacular at contested catch situations, like way beyond what you expect somebody to be able to achieve on a consistent basis. And then the other thing he has is he's really good after the catch. So for a big guy that doesn't separate, he's actually really shifty and difficult to bring down. Get good vision. You saw those times you reverse field. Yeah, in, in the open field. So you can do things with him that I don't think you can do with Alshon Jeffrey. Like if you threw Alshon Jeffrey a wide receiver screen, like he's not reversing field, taking it 50 yards and beating three right. guys in, in space. Right. He just can't. He just doesn't have that, right? Whereas Harry, I think, probably does. It, it's sort of like, you remember, I think, early career Anquan Bolden before he like lost all of his speed and was just literally like a body that you yeah. had to heave the ball at and hope he'd win it in the air. Like early career Bolden could rumble like with the ball in his hands, make some things happen after the catch, you yep. know, break some tackles. He was a quarterback right. going into Florida State, yeah. So early career, Not that, that makes you feel, but he like a, he's a running quarterback. Yeah, is my yeah. point. But so early career, Anquan Bolden is what I'm kind of picturing for Nikhil Harry, a guy that can win contested catches, but also do some stuff by just getting the ball in his hands in space. I just don't see a way that he's ever going to work out. He's never going to be a sort of standard perimeter wide receiver that wins through separation. 
Yeah. You can consistently feed the ball that way. Well, the thing I said was in 2014, they had Brandon LaFell as a really nice compliment to Edelman, Gronk, Amendola, the backs out of the backfield and all that stuff. And he was a slam. He was slants and back shoulder type stuff. I mean, he could be that contributor. So I think if they can get anything out of Nikhil Harry, and then you've got another possession receiver to go with Mohamed Sanu, who's more of a possession receiver, to go with Edelman, who's more of a possession receiver. And then Dorsett's like a decent three slash four <laughs> deep threat. So it's not the worst in the world. I still think they're missing that tight end. But if Harry takes the middle of the field type of stuff, replace the Marcus Colston role, however you want to so position thing, it. Right? There's, there's a bunch of different ways you can use a guy like that. Let's say you agree that he's never going to work on the outside consistently as someone that can separate. So most of the time, you're going to need to figure out how to get on the ball in a way that doesn't rely on him beating somebody one-on-one and gaining separation. Typically, the easiest way of doing that is lining them up, lining them up inside where there's more space because most because usually the slot receiver is the guy off the line of scrimmage, so teams don't press that guy. So immediately you're working with more separation between you and the defensive back, and that guy's got to defend a two-way go. So, you, again, you can, you can generate more separation simply by playing the other side to that guy, right? So a lot of – you can generally gain separation by just lining them up inside, but also – there's then multiple different ways of using those slot receivers. So the Saints back with Marcus Colston would use him as this vertical slot weapon and sort of send him, like tight ends, send him down the seam over the middle, exploit the space between the safeties and the linebackers and the, the corners coming in on you. And, and that's one way of doing it as well. So, yeah, I, I'm generally sort of interested to see what they do with him, how he presents himself in this offense and whether he is successful doing the things he was successful at in college or whether he's just, you know, another version of Laquan Treadwell who the things he's good at doesn't translate. That's, so that's, good. that's that's what I'm most interested in is, is this, what do the Patriots think of him? Do they try to make him an outside receiver? Do they try to hide him or not hide him in the slot but use him right. and I think if there's, as a slot? You know, there are, again... Or he might not even be active. Yes, that's true. Throughout the NFL, there are there's a spectrum of how willing NFL teams are to essentially put guys in the best situation to succeed, right? Yep. You get teams that will take a guy like Treadwell and just say, well, this is our receiver position. You learn this and succeed or fail. Right. right. Then there are teams like I, the Patriots, I think, will be really good at this, but, you know, the Saints, for example. And it's like, all right, you only do these two things well? That's all you're doing this year. Yep. Nothing but this, right? Michael Thomas in his first year in New Orleans, ran like two routes. He just ran like slants, goes, and, and hitches. That was it. And it, was like, and it worked, yeah. right? He was ridiculously productive right from the outset because it didn't say, all right, here's this position, learn all of it, and if you, you're not very good at it, you're screwed. Right. They said, all right, you can only do these three things. It's all we're doing year one. We'll work on the rest in the offseason. We'll get you up to speed then. Just concentrate on this stuff. And he was incredibly productive. I think of any team, the Patriots will be pretty good at saying, all right, turns out, Nikhil, you're not so great at the old separating stuff. So what we're going to do is we're going to do it for you. Don't worry about it. Yeah. You are not going to have to beat these guys. Th- we'll beat them for you. You just catch the ball. I, I just think it's such a big story because you're in the the last eight to ten years of Brady's career, right? <laughs> and they, this is the first time they ever invested in a wide receiver in the first round. What's his, uh, what's his TB12 guru guy called? Uh, Gonzalez? Is it Gonzalez or Guerrero? Guerrero, Guerrero, Alex, sorry. Alex Guerrero? Alex Guerrero. So he thinks he can play well beyond 45. Well beyond? Well beyond. Oh, man, I'd love to see it. Just keep going, man. I was thinking Dan Guerrero, the uh, 
college, uh, the high school football coach yeah. who I follow on Twitter. That was yeah. the first name that came to mind, Alex Guerrero. Um, it's just a fascinating story because before the draft, there were all these rumors that like, like Debo Samuel had a visit with New England and he was like, that's it, I'm going to be a Patriot. Like he was so, he thought they were so enamored that they were going to pick him. They passed on Debo Samuel. They passed on Terry McLaurin, two guys who were doing a really nice job, probably fit the receiver mold a little bit more in New England than Nikhil Harry. Mm. But the Patriots saw something in Nikhil Harry to make him the first first round wide receiver in the Belichick era. It's, it is genuinely fascinating that they chose Nikhil Harry, given what certainly I, and I think you as well, thought about him as a receiver, right? It's like, he's really not good at a bunch of things that are yeah. quite important for playing wide receiver. And yet the Patriots yeah, anytime, saw to make him a first-round pick. Anytime you can kind of like get into Belichick's head, meaning like the pick told you something. He valued him over right. this, you know, these next couple guys. It's just, a, it's just an interesting look. And it's fascinating for a couple of reasons. One, because it's the Patriots, and we assume that the Patriots are this you know, cutting-edge, know-everything kind of team. And two, because they've been pretty spectacularly bad at drafting wide receivers. They have a really bad history of it. Right. Yeah. So Even like, like a Deontay Johnson, who's showing that route running ability that we saw like a guy like that would have been a much better fit probably, right. on paper right but this is a team that is that basically gave up for a period of, of drafting wide receivers because of the mess they made before like they, they draft what chad jackson in the second round yeah. and that went so badly that's like right we're just trading for him we're not even trying anymore aaron dobson right yeah and then they go then the thing that brings them back into it is Nikhil harry in the first round it's like wow i mean that's just interesting and to be clear yes they found edelman as a late round. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they stopped drafting completely. But, but they stopped when, burning early round right, draft picks. When they've attacked the wide receiver position yeah, I mean, in early rounds. Everybody drafts at least a wide receiver every year somewhere because yeah. you need them. Right? Anyway, a lot of time on the receivers there. I, I am also interested in that Eagles pass rush against the Patriots pass blocking. Marshall Newhouse has had trouble. He's given up 25 pressures. Shaq Mason's given up 20 when he's been out there. Marcus Cannon's had his ups and downs. The Patriots' pass blocking has not been as good no. as previous years. And that's the other issue because they're not running the ball all that well. The line's not playing all that well. And this is probably the best pass rush defensive front that they faced. Yeah. So another key to look at there. Brady, all that said. Brady's numbers under pressure, I think, have been horrendous. Horrendous. Year. Not good compared to it. So you could say he's gonna, it's going to get better. Yeah. You could. Yeah. Interestingly, we've all chosen the Patriots. We're all taking New England. Nathan blank. Yeah, who knows? But it doesn't matter because he's not first anymore. All right, let's uh, let's go rapid fire around the rest of the league. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. Don't even promise it anymore because it's it's probably not happening. Nobody likes rapid fire. People want to hear us talk for like four hours. Okay. They don't want that. I don't have that kind of time, but what are you looking for? Uh, How many interceptions is Yolo Fitzmagic going to throw against a legitimately good defense? Too. He did a nice job a couple weeks ago against them. Mm-hmm. I think he threw some picks still, didn't he? <laughs> I'm just, this is, I like, so, you know, Fitzpatrick, to be fair to the Dolphins, he does give them the best chance of winning games. Um, but as with Fitz, Fitzpatrick, you're only ever a matter of time away from, oh, no. And that's going to be fun to watch. He gives them a lot of opportunity to lose games as well. Well, yeah, but so does Rosen. Yeah, he's doing... Um, you know, Fitz is doing his thing. Yeah. I think given that situation, he's doing a nice job there. That's the beautiful thing about Fitz is that that's it's only a matter of time. The oh. Dolphins are instilling a winning culture there. Yeah, which only serves to hurt them. 
do you know off the top of your head where the bills are in elo because i think not only us i think other power rankings so to speak have the bills low because they're that classic team like they beat the bengals by only a little bit they win all these close games it's defense driven they're the type of team where it's like sorry bills fans i know the record's really nice but we don't necessarily buy into it and then yeah they lost last week to the browns and it was like that's not that it shouldn't be that big of a surprise they right they were they're closer than the uh, 21st record would show yeah they rank 21st which so 21st doesn't sound great to begin with but when you phrase it as in they're they're between denver and cleveland that's how much it doesn't like them. <laughs> so that's that's the that's essentially our power ranking system, thinking that they're much closer to a five hundred team than a six and three type of team. Yes, and a big so one of the big driving things behind the our power ranking system is how good is your quarterback? Oh yeah, and Josh Allen, you know, not a great quarterback yet. So that's part of the issue. You're being really kind with that. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about it quite a bit on Monday. I mean, it was a, that was a classic. Cam Newtony type of game last week. Cam Newtony against the Browns. I'm just trying to click on the Bills real quick. So they're six and three. They've won games while scoring 17, 21, 14, 31, which is nice, and 24. I mean, they have one, two, three, four, five games where they've scored under 20 points out of their nine. So it's it, the whole thing is it, it's just a tough model to sustain to be fair to josh allen he is the highest graded allen at quarterback this year he's above kyle huh he's above above both kyle and brandon oh and brandon too he is the highest graded allen at quarterback so there you go there's something to work on the short area accuracy is much better the deep accuracy is horrendous it really is catastrophic yeah because he's done some nice things in the short game we say it every single week yeah it's amazing how bad the deep stuff is though i do love the bills defense I mean, they just, just that fundamentally sound, really nice, tough secondary to go up against and some active linebackers, and they just do a lot of nice things. Do you think that, you know, deep accuracy, just in terms of, just in, in isolation, dropping the ball where you want it to go, is that something that you can, like, teach a guy with a bit of practice and touch? Because I, I think part of the problem when you have a howitzer for an arm, you're less concerned about where it's landing, you know, with beautiful touch you know what he's become as you are with just firing the ball in the general direction of the guy you have streaking down the field yeah so a little insight into the pff grading system right like when you throw a deep ball if you completely miss it it's probably like a minus 0.5 right you miss the throw uh-huh. if you throw a jump ball opportunity and you just put it in a place where your receiver can catch it it's generally a zero mm-hmm. and i always call it, you know those 50 50 balls they're really 20 80 balls and so 20 percent of the time your receiver makes the catch right 80% of the time, they don't. It's part of the reason why deep ball stuff is very unstable and fluctuates or whatever. I think you could teach Josh Allen to just throw more zeros. Like, just stop missing. Um, so using, like, Brady as an example for, like, early in his career, he's so afraid of interceptions, he'll just overthrow stuff. Yeah. And then he started to, like, underthrow it a little bit. Like, give my guy a chance, right? So he wouldn't miss as many and he'd have a few more contested catches. At worst... You should be able to teach Josh Allen to throw more 50-50 type balls. Now, they don't have the receivers necessarily to get them. Well, so the thing, But the thing is, they have receivers that are getting open deep. They're getting like, open deep, too. Right. So it's like, just don't overthrow. Yes. The guy. You don't have to hit a guy in stride all the time. You know who they need to bring in to teach him? They need one afternoon with Chad Pennington. 
Chad, Chad. Can, Chad can come in and just teach Josh Allen how to take a step back, put this thing in the air, and just drop it like a rainbow into the bucket. Now, see, I don't think that would, because the problem is Chad Pennington's effort level in order to do that was the same as Josh Allen's effort level. They're heaving the ball as far as they can. Allen overthrows by 20 yards, and Pennington underthrows it for no, no, no. He, a catch. So Pennington's deep ball was really good, no, though. Yeah, no, because, because it listen, wasn't underthrown. He would drop it to exactly where it needs to go. Because he put it in the in the air early enough. Yeah, you don't need a big arm to be. You want it's about accuracy. Right. He was the, the king ball. of understanding. So Pennington obviously had a noodle for an arm, right? But his deep ball was really good because he put the ball in the air so ridiculously early. Yeah. And was accurate with it. So he needs to spend an afternoon with teaching Chad. Josh how to just drop this thing in a bucket deep down the field. So do you know what I think Josh has become? When you watched Carson Wentz in college. He has that laser for an arm, right? He throws the deep out, the zip, and all that stuff. There were times he would completely like slow his arm down to throw anything with touch, and it looked horrendous. Yeah. So it's a combination of that. And then Sam Darnold had a terrible deep ball at USC the whole time, but he was really good short and intermediate. Allen's almost become this combination of like college Wentz and what I thought Darnold might become, which is just like a up to 20 yards type of efficient throw. Okay, so if you don't think that – if you think that the physical – differences between the two are so stark that it would be a problem who do you want to get i will give you a second option somebody that i think might have the greatest deep ball i've ever seen randall no same team different quarterback dante culpepper oh culpepper yeah culpepper had a cannon and he knew how to put the ball accurately where it needed to go now he was helped by the fact that he was primarily throwing at randy moss half the time but like his accuracy on the deep ball i think is better than anybody i've ever seen so tell josh Take all that power in your arm, and instead of throwing it 80 yards far, throw it high. Up. So, so it'll it come back up. with snow on it, but it'll land where it's supposed to. Yeah. Culpepper could teach him that. That'll give the receiver time. Jeff Blake. Jeff Blake. Jeff Blake threw that really nice rainbow deep ball. All the time? I don't know. All the or time. like once? I don't know. It was just like, that was his thing, I think. Yeah. I think that's all he did well. But Culpepper was really good at that, and he had, a, he had an arm. Like, he could actually relate, you know? Whereas Josh is like, yeah, you know, sometimes it just fires 10 yards. Where Chad's like, I mean, sure, yeah. yeah. Whereas Dante could actually relate. Like, yeah, yeah, I know. I, I, I could throw it too. I still want Josh to just do a better job with, you know, blitz recognition and some of the stuff at the well, line of scrimmage. Yeah, look, we can't have everything. Um, anyway, um, I think our, pre- our prediction from a few weeks ago that Miami's not, at least defensively, not as bad as they had shown early on. Is that true, or did they run into Brian Hoyer throwing them the ball? They ran into Brian Hoyer throwing them the ball. He was awful. Yeah. Nick Needham was one of our top five rookies. He was. I did the, uh, my weekly NFL video. Uh-huh. He's a cornerback for the Dolphins, undrafted out of UTEP. He might be a part of their rebuilding effort. He graded really well for us in college. Well, he probably will be on the basis that there's nobody else. Yeah. So he's a part. All right. We all went Buffalo. We did. What's next here? Uh, Jacksonville, Jacksonville, Indianapolis. Jackson, Colts. Nick Foles is back. He is. R.I.P. Minshew. This isn't bad for for the Jags. Minshew goes out pretty much on a high. I mean, he struggled a little bit at times in recent weeks. But he goes out. Very intriguing. He might have a guy to build around. The thing that I am most looking forward to happening in this game is that Nick Foles will probably not, by the end of this game, 
have the highest quarterback grade in the NFL anymore, which I have to remove by a filter. Yeah, why haven't we changed our filter? That is what I'm looking forward to. Right. Too. He has eight dropbacks so far this season. He's got and a big-time throw. And in those eight dropbacks, he has a 91 overall grade because on the throw yeah. where he broke his collarbone, he dropped a freaking dime nailed to it. whoever it was yeah. in the end zone. So consequently, he's been nailed to the top of the board in terms of the PFF QB rankings all Until season Until you long. filter it. Yeah. Until you filter it to get rid of him. So I am hugely looking forward to just anything below that level of play. I am with you. That gets him off that level. I'm just looking forward to mostly I, all offseason. I said more, more Nick Foles data points, please. You've got two, you know, you've got those bouts of high end play with really yeah. good system. I just want more Nick Foles data points to analyze exactly what he is as a quarterback. So, I, I can't tell if the Jaguars team are the, is the offensive supporting cast better than we thought. Or did Minshew elevate them? That's kind of the other question. That's a good question. I th- and the other interesting thing to me is, you know, we talked before about Minshew was making it a tricky thing for the Jags because as long as he played well, you had it became a problem to bench him, right? Mm-hmm. Then he plays one bad game. It's like, right, Foles ready now. Exactly what we said would happen, right? Now the, th- the question becomes, how much rope does Nick Foles have? Like, how bad can he play and for how long? Before, it's like, well, <laughs> we've got Minshew sitting over here. He was pretty good when he was playing. You might have to take a seat again, Nick. It could be a short leash because they're in the playoff race. Right. They don't have that much margin for error. So that's going to be interesting to watch. Like If Foles doesn't play really yeah. well, how long does he get before the Minshew thing becomes a reality? Yeah. Um, I think the thing that did Minshew in, you started to see teams get really... Like they started to treat him like a rookie. They're like, hey, Rook, you've never seen this before. They started to throw some really tough defensive looks at him. He handled some of them okay, but overall, I think that ended up doing him in that in the fumbles. I think with Foles, does he revert? We, we thought he might play the Uber game manager role, let the Jags play some D, but I think they might have, you know, more explosive offense potential. Oh, definitely. Than we thought Nick going Foles in. There. So like DJ Chark's development and Chris Conley's development and some of the other goings-on over there. Do you see Leonard Fournette on my uh, my AWS tweet? Mm-hmm. Our friends over at AWS posted the image. Tied for the league lead in yards after contact per rush. Yeah. Fournette. It might be skewed by a couple long runs, but I told you, he is looking crisper mm-hmm. than he ever has. Yes. Since college. Yes. For whatever it's worth. Yes. It was not a high bar to clear, but he is looking. He has cleared it with room to spare. It's crisper. Um, the other thing that's interesting in this game is Jacoby Brissett should be back. So should be. No more Brian Hoyer throwing the game away. We're back to the guy that doesn't make too many mistakes leading the team that's actually pretty good outside of the quarterback spot. So that is an interesting Indianapolis dynamic. The quarterback being bad enough to somehow undermine all of the other things got pretty tired pretty quickly because, you know, the Miami game happened. So you got the five and four Indianapolis Colts, the four and five Jags. They're both st- technically still in it, mm-hmm. still battling for playoff positioning. I think this is one of the sneaky good games of the week. Yeah, I like, like a last possession game. game type of type I of do game. I like the look of this game, particularly if Foles plays well. Yeah. So I'm going to be keeping a close eye on this one okay. on my eight game mix. Yeah. You don't like the eight game mix, huh? I conceptually think it's fine. The fact that they dedicate like 25% of the screen. To oh, you need like a 120 inch screen. 
No, what you need them to do is to just remove the crap from it and just put the eight games. I know what I'm watching. I've tuned in. I've paid for the service already. You don't need to advertise it to me. I think it's because they have to get rid of the space. They have to keep the aspect ratio. Aspect ratio. They don't. They can make it work. You just fit the eight games in and nothing else. If you have to have like a black bar down the side slightly, I'm okay with that. Just remove the giant space that's taken up most of the screen. Yeah, I'm like a little puppy sitting like right in front of my screen just so I can Yeah, so see like everything. in theory, I think it's fine. Practically, it's ridiculous the way they make it work. All right. Well. So, yeah, I don't like it. Um, I'll be paying attention to this one. I'm taking the Jacks. Same. Everyone else appears to be going with the Colts. Well, they're wrong. Oh, okay. Home in the dome. Fair enough. All right, guys. Quick break to tell you about our friend, Sam, over at Manscaped. Somebody was questioning my pronunciation on that. Manscaped, that's a D at the end. Am I saying that the right way? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't hear a problem the last time, but apparently people thought there was an S on the end of it. Sometimes. Yeah, it's Manscaped, like as in the past, .com. Manscaped.com. They support the PFF show. They're the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, fellas. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, as you know. Yes, they do. And this is my favorite part of the podcast. The best thing about this is Halloween is over, so we've rolled over onto a new theme for the ad read. What is this one, Steve? Jingle balls to the walls, fellas. Listen up. It's time to gear up and get yourself the gift of shaving this holiday season. I'm talking about the Manscaped Perfect Package 2.0. What's the perfect package, Steve? We got the Lawnmower 2.0. That's their their best product. The, The the it's kind of like the quarterback of yeah, flagship mm. of, of the products. That's flagship. for your for all of your below the belt, you know, grooming needs. <laughs> and then they uh, go on top of that with the crop reviver and all sorts of other products to uh, to tidy things up. Crop during reserver, this, crop reviver. Yeah, during the whole holiday season. A lot of crop related products. Revolutionary product here, the lawnmower 2.0. Yeah has proprietary advanced skin-safe technology so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. <laughs> any, other, uh, any other gems from the reed? It's also waterproof. Oh, perfect. Do you have any gems from the reed oh, that you want to add here? All kinds of gems from this reed. All uh, I know is it's perfect for the holiday season, and let's just get to it really quick. You've got the promo code yeah, this is the PFF part. at manscaped.com. That gets you 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Promo code is PFF. Yes. What else do you want to tell us about it? It says, uh, clean up your nuts and make Santa proud this year. There you go. <laughs> I didn't realize Santa was checking that. that Santa that's something, checks everything. That's something, they <laughs> that's something they don't, that's not well publicized. You know, Santa's on top of everything. Apparently. I He's didn't realize he was that thorough. You know, they say making the list and checking it twice. I didn't realize he was checking other things as checks well. Checks everything twice. My other potentially favorite bullet point in this is, so we get, you know, the, the read comes with, man, there's a lot of bullet points. Just suggested There's stuff. like 12 of them. Um, there's the, obviously the helpful tip of don't use the same trimmer on your face as you're using on your balls. Um, but it then says, speaking of sweaty and stinky balls. Speaking of, that's what we were talking about. <laughs> yeah. He, and then it says, then it leads into being thankful for the crop reviver. Yeah, so uh, for Thanksgiving. But I've never seen that presented in a bullet point that way. Well, all I know is it's gift season. The thing works well. That's it. Some people are going to be very happy when they unwrap the presents. Lawnmower 2.0. For the few ladies out there, possible gift. Absolutely. Gift option. Tis the holiday season. You get 20% off plus free shipping. Promo codes PFF over at Manscaped with a D. Manscaped.com. Cowboys at the Lions. 
What's up with Stafford's broken back? I still don't know. So we had the doctor. Did you do that this week? Yeah, Dr. Pomerantz. Oh, so you know. So what's up with it? Well, doctor doesn't really know. Yeah. Because there's not enough information. Hmm. But he essentially gave us two options, right? So you've either got... It's not like a vertebrae type of thing, but you either have something... Something's busted in the lower back or the upper back. He suspected the upper back. Wait, hang on. If it's not a vertebrae thing, what else is there? There's other, like, little muscles. So, like, when you say broken back, there's other... I think it was one of the muscles or something. That wouldn't be a broken back. It wouldn't be broken. It wasn't one of the vertebrae. It was something else. But isn't there, like... Isn't your back just vertebrae? Just watch the video on the YouTube channel. He'll break it down for you. (laughs) Something rib-related. Ah, okay. Tyler says. He does, yeah. Rib. How come he was listening more to the doctor than you were? Because I was trying to craft my next question <laughs> rather than listen to him. Tyler got to take it all in and absorb the information. Okay. I was just worried about my follow-up and not sounding like an idiot. Uh, that's, a, right. that's what a good host does. Okay. Fine. I'm not, I've not been trained in interview skills, all right? No. In case you haven't noticed. Well, look, you've, you've improved dramatically because you know, we're not getting ridiculing feedback from him anymore. Oh, they hated the first one we yeah. did. They, well, we, you. I didn't have any part of it. It's a team effort. <laughs> Represented PFF. This was your department back then, Steve. Great interview. Steve talked too much. Let's move on to the next one. All right. Anyway, so um, it's supposed to be pain management, ultimately. How much can he handle? Okay. But he's been playing through it for like a year. That part we weren't really sure about. Are you sure <laughs> about that? Yeah. That's what the report said. Then it got tough. It's like they, he, he, the whole thing was he'd been playing through this for like a year. He expected to play last week. You know, grit through the pain the way he always has. And apparently they went, no, we're shutting you down. Yeah, We're know. not doing it this week. So that part was confusing to me. Anyway, where's this going? Is he playing this week? He's not practicing, but he could play. Didn't practice Thursday. That's today. But it sounds <laughs> we, like it might be Driscoll. So we have no information either way on whether Driscoll or Stafford is starting. Can I therefore focus Well, that's on what happens when you record on Thursday. But I think it might be Driscoll. This is why Nathan does his picks later. Can I then focus on the side of the ball that we do know something about? Yes, please. The thing that I'm really interested in is Amari Cooper versus Darius Slay. We yeah. saw what Cooper was able to do the Minnesota Vikings cornerbacks last week. Um, Trey Waynes was down. So consequently, Mike Hughes saw 17 targets. Um, <laughs> Amari Cooper was the recipient of most of them. And, you know... I, I think Mike Hughes has got some skills and may end up being the best corner on that roster, but he can't cover Amari Cooper yet. Um, now, Darius Slay is a significantly better corner than Mike Hughes at this point in their career. Can Slay cover Amari Cooper? I think Slay could stick with him a little bit better than others. Well, I would expect him to stick with him better than Hughes could, but that's going to be the battle I'm looking for because, you know, Cooper is one of the best route runners in the NFL. Darius Slay is one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. So, which one, which one wins? Oh, that's a good one. Thank you. So, I want to talk about Dak real quick. Okay. I think it's clearly his best season, statistically. Yes. Right? Even though the passer rating is a little bit lower than his uh, rookie season, he's had a little bit of rough interception luck. Yeah, I don't think anyone's year. arguing that, right? Everyone's saying... So, so everybody thinks this year. is the best season for Dak Prescott. Right, I think everybody's in agreement. Eight point seven yards per attempt by f- like last year, he was at seven point four. Mm-hmm. So they've added one point three yards per attempt. Every attempt, yeah, it's a big jump. So, but his career PFF grades now at oh, uh, sixteen, eighty three point seven, then seventy two, then seventy four point eight, and now eighty four point seven. So eighty four point seven is one above 
his 2016. If he continues at this level, he's probably on pace for like an 87, 88 type of season. So it'll be his best season by like a few PFF grading points. But I think the statistical output is much bigger than that jump. So is he continuing? Is he kind of the example of, is he actually a top 10 quarterback or is he still one of those guys in the 10 to 19 range where Kellen Moore is calling better plays, elite receiver for a whole season in Amari. You got more open guys to throw to all this stuff. They have constructed passing offense. He's the biggest catalyst, but it's not, he's not having a 90 plus season Mm -hmm. at the moment. Yeah, I mean, he could well be the example of what happens when you take a middle-tier quarterback and give them a really good situation around them. And when you do that, those guys become top 10 quarterbacks, maybe even top five quarterbacks. They probably never get to top three quarterback. Um, What's really interesting, though, is they have surrounded him with this cast whilst throwing $90 million at a running back. Yeah, that's been Which they are using less now than ever before because it's not actually that useful. So, like, whatever about, you know, whatever about not running, not actually using him that much and therefore mitigating that potential issue, like, they have that amount of money tied up in Zeke. Like, Zeke, somebody, you know those pictures that the NFL does where it's like the little cartoons of each of the top five people? Yeah. So it's like Dalvin Cook, Nick Chubb. I don't know what the top five in rushing is, but those are two of the five. Like, Zeke... Is earning more money than all five of the other guys combined. Really, in the top five, um, and they like. It's, I'm not. I don't want to say it's a waste because he's a really good player, but they're using him less than ever before, and their offense is better than ever before. Those two things are not necessarily coincidental, and yet that's where they threw a giant sum of this money for, and they haven't yet paid Dak. Well, let's let's just put it into these terms, right? another reason why the quarterback's so much more valuable than the running back. You take Dak Prescott, who may have, I think he's improved a little bit as a player, right? You get a little bit of improvement from Dak Prescott plus a better situation, and you get his yards per attempt go from 6.8 to 7.4 to 8.7. Monster jumps mm-hmm. right there. If Zeke got like a little bit better as a player, you're like, oh, he's in year four here. He's going to get better. He's going to, or you're whatever, you're five. He's going to get better. His production might not even get better. And if he was to go up 1.3, you know, per attempt, that's almost impossible yeah. for a running back. And in fact, he's having one of the worst years of his career, statistically, even just on a, on a per play basis. It's just interesting because it puts them in this, you know, so usually when you sign the quarterback to the big money deal, that's the thing that puts you in a financial bind going forward, right? We have all this money tied up in the quarterback. Now we don't have it to spend on X, Y, and Z. They've kind of done it, except the thing that's hamstringing them is the running back. Like, they still have to pay Dak. And then you've got whatever Dak's contract becomes, plus Zeke. Like, that is a monster sum of money tied up in those two players. Now, the quarterback could be worth it, but the running back just won't be. Yeah, I think think you're just... My, to my previous point, it's Dak plus Amari gets you going this way. Yeah. Where it's like Dak plus Zeke is like, oh, whatever. Yeah. You know? Pretty much. So invest in the Dak Amari. I mean, I think ultimately pairing. what we're saying is that, you know, that coming into this year, we were talking about do, do you get, do you pay Zach or do you pay Dak 
the big money contract, right? And is he worth it as this mid-tier quarterback, 10 to 15 kind of range, blah, blah, blah. I think ultimately what this year has proved is that, yeah, I think he does deserve that, right? Because what he's, what he's shown is that if you do give him a really good supporting cast, he can get higher than this 10 to 15 range. He can get into the top 10. He can put himself somewhere around the top five, and that is worth that monster money contract. It's just tough to sustain that. Like so, You don't start with that baseline of like, hey, I know he's going to be a top five guy every year. It's like if everything goes really, really well, he performs like a top five to ten guy. Right. Now, the problem they have is that – so it's, as soon as you pay him, it becomes harder to surround him with that supporting cast, right? Right. And then it's harder again because you've already thrown $90 million at a running back. So they're like they're, – as soon as they pay him that contract, they are going to be doubly hamstrung – compared with a normal yeah. team that pays their quarterback big money. So it's, yeah, that, that's just an interesting sort of salary cap hole thing for them. Just so we're clear from a grading standpoint, Dak is currently uh, at number 10. He had a, we, we had him with a rough game against the Giants. Yeah. Despite three touchdowns and a pick. So we had him with a rough game there. Had a fumble in there. So over the last two weeks, he, he played pretty well against Minnesota, but we have him at number 10 right now. He had been higher but 84.7 yeah. grade, number 10, just behind Matthew Stafford. Yeah. The, I mean, the interesting thing overall, right, is that Amari Cooper leads all receivers and no, second in, in yards per route run, right? He's, is he still behind uh, Diggs? I don't know. I haven't checked. He is. Well, he's second in yards per route run now, but now it's behind Tyreek Hill instead of Stephon Diggs. So he's been essentially second for the past couple of weeks in terms of yards per route run, making him effectively as efficient as any wide receiver in the NFL, um, Dak Prescott has been exceptionally good while throwing to um, to Amari Cooper. Those are the two players that have yet to be paid, and yet Zeke right. has been. That's, I mean, the point I'm driving at. It's, no, it's, it's a fair point. They've committed money to the running back, and they have the two most important components in that offense waiting for the deal. Very fair point. I think I'm taking Dallas in part because of... Uh Stafford issues. Also taking Dallas. Uh, Stafford issues, plus I kind of expect them to bounce back a little bit after losing to the Vikings. Yep. Big game for the Cowboys because they have uh, New England the following week. Yeah. They're sitting there at 5-4. and four. Yeah, I mean, they they're, so not only does the ELO rankings have the Eagles above the Cowboys, but our, the models that predict playoff appearances and that kind of thing took them from, I think, 72% chance to make the playoffs last i can't remember if it was the playoffs or the division but i think effectively it's the same thing for them um 72 chance to make it last week all the way down to 50 yeah by losing to the vikings so they have a game in a game up on the eagles and yet we still think they have it's a, it's now a 50 50 shot essentially of who's going to make it all right atlanta falcons at the carolina panthers aha uh-huh. what is your uh what, what's the whale watch look like so as we know the, the thing about the exploding, decaying whale on a beach is that it only explodes once. Yeah. The noxious gases build up. The decay sets in. It starts to expand. Somebody pokes it with a stick. Boom. Whale skank everywhere. But it only happens once. And then it's inert. And it's done. So it blew up. It exploded last week. It's not going to happen twice. But don't you think the nope. falcons are more talented than a beached whale? <laughs> that's probably the first time anybody's ever asked that question 
I mean, I think it's, it's a fair question that, you know, only the PFF NFL podcast will pose and potentially answer. I would I would bet a large sum of money that there will be no other football podcast that will ask that question this week. So it was a great analogy from you last week, but perhaps it was more fitting for a bad team like the Jets. It's like, ah, oh, it explodes once. That's it. I don't think they were decaying as much as they were just bad. Oh, yeah. The thing about the They're Falcons, less talented than a beached whale. Well, the thing about... So, the thing about why the beach whale is such a great analogy, right, is that at one point in time, the whale was a majestic creature sweeping through the oceans, laying waste to all the little krill and everything else, right? Much oh, like the Falcons back when they made like the, the Super Falcons. Bowl. Yeah, just... Right? Then... The Shanahan offense exactly, tearing right? people apart, this... Up-and-coming Deion Jones-led defense. It yeah. gets beached, washes up on a beach, and begins to rot. And that's what this season has been for the Falcons. They washed, they wound up, washed up on a beach, and they just lay there in the sun, rotting, festering. And then, that, this, this is the perfect analogy. And I'm just saying, it blew up once, it's not going to happen again. Well, they sucked me back in. I'm picking them against Carolina. Well, that's ridiculous because I've already explained why that's not going to happen. I know. So you think they're, they're like a two-win team? I think Kyle Allen no. and the Panthers are going to roll. You're going to pick Atlanta against week. Atlanta for the rest of the week just because you had a really good one-week analogy and you have to carry it through to week 17. All I'm saying is that the analogy has so far been proven correct. I'm not jumping off now. All right. I don't have much to add to this. No. Look, they, yes, they're a more talented team than we've seen from this so, season. On the other hand, things were going so badly. Last week was such a departure from what we've seen all the way through this season. I am saying there's no way that happens twice in a row. You could have used much better, tangible, hard and fast evidence and analysis like what I'm going to bring to the table here, mm. which is right here in week 11, Matt Ryan's going to play outdoors for the first time all year. <laughs> okay. The Falcons are going to play outdoors for the first time all year. He might have a... We have no idea how his arm is. Remember that one time we thought his arm was ready to fall off in yeah. the outdoor game? against? What if, his, what if he can't even throw the ball anymore mm-hmm. outside of the friendly confines of domes? It's possible. It's possible. Mm-hmm. That would be your... That should be your take for picking Carolina. You, look, you can't... This is the best analogy anybody has ever come up with for anything. Ever. I, so I, I don't disagree with that. I just I feel like you have to write it out. Now, you, you're expecting the Falcons to be 2-14. and 14. No, I mean, I'm, look, there's a chance that they can come up against a more inert waste of blubber than themselves hmm. the rest of this year. What does their schedule look like? Do they play the Dolphins? No. Okay. Do they play anybody as bad? <laughs> Who do they play that sucks? I don't, I don't have their schedule. Like, they could win a game. I'm just saying that they're not going to beat the Panthers. All right. I think they're going to beat the Panthers. I want to see if that Falcons D is for real. They held the Saints to nine last week. Now they're going up against Kyle Allen. Right. I mean, does the rest of the season not suggest that it isn't? I don't know. I mean, was this like a a line in the sand? They didn't just wake up last week and were like, you know what? New play. but But they made changes. No more Dan Quinn calling plays. Yeah. I still be saying this is not... You don't just like completely about face and become a, a, a wholly different outfit because you made one slight small change. Well, so I think this is going to be a sneaky good game, too, because the Falcons are the most talented beach well in the league. True. Kyle Allen playing for his career right now. We don't know what he's going to. We still don't know what he is. Had that gutsy outing in the snow last week with some rough plays, but some with some good ones. We talked about that on Monday. So 
It's a lot to like here. They're another five and four team, the Panthers, that they don't need to win out, but they, they have very, very little margin of error the rest of the year in the NFC. This is true. Um, Luke Heakley's coming off a pretty ugly game, am I right? Yeah, that's what I was saying the other day, that the Packers did a nice job of kind of high-lowing him, and he missed a few tackles. and 47 grade. Yeah, that was the lowest he'd had since like 16, I think. Yeah. yeah. So again, expect that to bounce back. Another reason why the beach whale will not explode a second time. Plus Matt Ryan throwing ducks outside. To Luke Eakley. Is that what you're expecting? Sure. All right. If you can predict a pick, I'm going to go for one as well. Well, Atlanta sucked me back in again. Yeah, you're just a sucker for that kind of stuff. Oh, Brandon Graham's going to get 10 sacks. Better QB getting points? Is that, that's George's uh, rule. Yeah, but that's, that's inside, right? What is, what is Matt Ryan outdoors? Mm, we have no idea. Whereas we saw... We haven't seen him play an outdoor game for like a year. Right. Whereas we saw Kyle Allen start dealing when the snow came In the out. snow. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay, only at the end because, you know... Some, I don't, anyway. Has Matt Ryan ever played in the snow? I don't know. Has Drew Brees ever played in a... <laughs> I honestly can't remember a game <laughs> in Brees or Manning's career in where they played in, t- in bad weather. Manning? Manning's definitely played. Well, he so. played in, the, in the playoffs against the New England and then he played like half a game in the snow against Buffalo. That's it? Yeah, <laughs> that I remember. I mean, there was a couple. I mean, there was some I'm cold. Sure, Manning's had some ugly weather games. In he it. had cold weather games because he played a lot in New England. Yeah, a lot of cold weather games, but not like rainstorms and. Well, see, this is the thing, right? There aren't actually that many games that get rained on. Yeah, but like Russell Wilson plays in like five a year. Well, that's because he plays Aaron, in Seattle. That's what. It, well, this is what I'm saying, though. But that's like the only place in the the country where it rains. So he he plays in the rain a ton. New England always has a little bit of rain and or snow type games. Rodgers plays in a ton of snow games. Snow, but not rain. Cleveland, Buffalo, they always have something going on. Like, I honestly can't even remember a game where Drew Brees played in any sort of adverse conditions <laughs> ever. Okay. Matt Ryan either. I can't remember one. Stafford played in that ridiculous snow game in Philly. Remember that one week where it's in 2013 yeah, yeah. and snowed Calvin everywhere? Johnson slides and is like yeah. picking half the earth out of I'm his face for the next three snaps. Andrew Luck's had some rough games in New England weather-wise. People are going to have to send you pictures of Peyton Manning playing in crappy weather. Okay, so he played in the AFC Championship game in bad weather. He played a lot of he played some bad weather games in New England. Podcast listeners, send Steve at PFF underscore Steve. And then I think images of Peyton Manning playing in bad weather. And I think in like 09 or whatever, they sat him. They played in a snowstorm. We played like the first half at Buffalo. Really bad snowstorm. But they had already clinched or whatever. Hmm. But beyond that, like a couple cold weather games when he was the QB at Denver and that was it. He didn't play in bad weather. Okay. All right. Fine. All right, where are we? Jets, Jets, Redskins. Did we get there already? Where we? So you're picking the... How's this rapid fire going? It's not going well. You're picking the Falcons. You got some, yeah, I yeah, said that a while ago. And I'm picking the Panthers. Okay, because the whale doesn't explode twice. Sorry, yeah, that's, that's your analysis. So New York Jets, Washington Redskins. Can Red- I, let me just say. Okay. Here's the deal. All right. If you want Jets analysis, we spent like 20 minutes on the YouTube channel breaking down whether or not you should build around Sam Darnold. We did. That's your Jets analysis. Yeah, check out our Wednesday. Check out our Wednesday podcast. We talked a lot about the Jets and Darnold. Huh. Yeah. All right. And then tell me one thing you were looking for in this game. Uh well, Greg Williams defense against a rookie quarterback that's not playing very well. Um, you know, Greg Williams defense has its problems, but it's also good at a lot of things, which is why he keeps getting jobs. Many of them apparently. Many offers. So many offers. Um 
But I think, you know, it's going to cause some problems for a quarterback that's already not playing well against, like, any random defense. So I'm kind of curious to see what exactly gets dialed up, how Haskins does against that. Can he actually find the holes in this defense? Again, where this defense does give you space is the area that he's not being particularly good at targeting at the moment anyway, which is like the intermediate over the middle area. So that that's what I'm looking for, that dynamic. Cool. What about you, Steve? I want to see Jamal Adams. Right. I just want to watch Jamal Adams. <laughs> After one of the best games we've seen from a safety all season. Would you watch? So there is a, I don't know if they still do this, but they used to in soccer back in on Sky, Sky Sports, where you've been on TV, Steve. Oh, yeah, I used to be on TV on Sky. Yeah. So Sky Sports used to have, they used to have these things, like the red button thing, where you hit the red button, you can go to like alternate views of whatever. Um, and they used to have one that was like a specific player, Cam. So like today, the red button will follow whoever, right? No, just literally Cam following him around the whole day, seeing like seeing the entire game from this guy's perspective, or at least just following him, not looking at everything else, right? Would you watch one of those for like an NFL game just to see a random player do whatever it is he does, snap to snap? Maybe not on first watch. But if you could like picture and picture it? Oh, yeah, I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. I think receiver-cornerback matchup in general would be great. Maybe a like a left tackle if you knew he had a yeah. good matchup or a Jamal Adams type of safety. Right, just see him moving around every single snap. Where like, I would watch Jamal Adams or Derwin James every week. Is, is Derwin back this week? He's getting close, right? I don't know. I haven't we'll heard of later. Yeah, we'll, yeah, do some research. Yeah. Um, but Jamal Adams, as much as I love Derwin, Jamal has been right there with him mm-hmm. as the do-it-all safety. Last week, he had two strip sacks, as you mentioned, the one where he just straight took it out of yeah. Daniel Jones' hands. Mm-hmm. Um, so the ability to use a guy as a blitzer, he made a couple of run stops, made some plays in coverage. You, you, you play short zone, you play man. I mean, I do-it-all safety. I would watch the... I would watch player the cam on button. that. Yeah. You Maybe not it. like a... I wouldn't do it. I mean, like Aaron Donald. Oh, I'd would watch be kind of fun to that. watch. Yeah. Yeah. But definitely people that are normally like off screen. So a receiver, somebody in the secondary. I really like the idea of making it a picture in picture option, though. That would be cool. Like if you got to, if you could sort of, you know, full screen, then the bottom right hand quarter, you could put your, your, the player you wanted to look at in that every single snap. That would be cool. For sure. Can we get, uh, can we get Fred on the phone? Suggest that to him? We should. Fred is quite the innovator. Right. First down line guy. Maybe we can get an Emmy. Yes. We're due for Emmys. George's got one. He just sat in a truck all, all year. We would be changing the game. He did. I mean, they, they didn't. Those poor Sunday Night Football guys did not win an Emmy in the 2017 season. Wow. That must have been a tough year. Then they added George to the crew. And they and won one again in 18. Everybody won an Emmy. Yeah. George is like the glue piece in the Sunday Night Football truck. Mm. That's why they keep him here now every week. They didn't invite him back to the truck. No. Mm. But they're still getting the same stuff done. A lot of good PFF stuff getting onto Sunday Night Football. Yeah, last week. Uh, yeah, last week they had a big slide of his go up there on Kirk Cousins. Mm-hmm. Is it time for my stat yet? Oh, it's, all, it's a Kirk Cousins stat. Oh, is it? Can't wait. All right, so I'm picking the Jets. Who would I take? You also picked the Jets. Okay, I good. Did everybody else? Yeah, Dwayne Haskins. Let's see if he can take a step forward. All right, Saints at the Bucks. What are you looking for here? Uh, I expect a bounce back game for the Saints because they're not nearly as bad as they looked against the exploding whale. Oh, it's um, going to be a Breeze versus Jameis shootout, isn't it? <laughs> that's possible as well. 
the coverage for Tampa Bay is generally not good. Yeah. Drew Brees is generally good. Therefore, I expect there to be quite a lot of joy in that department. Again, a bounce back for this New Orleans team. But it's outdoors. Yeah, but it's in Tampa. You never know. I mean, it's, it's supposed to be clear there, but you never know when you might just get that uh, afternoon rainstorm. You never know when it might just drop to like 65. But not with Brees. He's never played in the rain. Never. Add Drew Brees to the list of people to send Steve pictures of playing in inclement weather. Let's see. Top of my head. I, I remember Brees playing. It was like kind of cold in the playoffs a couple times against Chicago <laughs> in 06 and the Eagles in 2013. He's been playing for like 20 years. He's got to have played in a few He's got no games. weather games. He has to have. It's just not possible for him to have avoided any form of bad weather no. for like 15 years. Drew cannot throw the ball in the rain or anything. I, I want to see if they throw the ball down the field. Against this questionable coverage unit. Right. Well, I mean, are we, we must be dealing with pretty close to both ends of the spectrum in terms of average depth of target. Yeah, Breeze is second lowest in the NFL behind his teammate, Teddy Bridgewater. Jameis is first, right? No, Stafford. Is Stafford, who, is he still there or is it? I haven't Stafford? checked recently, but, you know. Well, Stafford didn't play last week, so it must be still him. Yeah, and right? Jameis has the most attempts beyond the sticks this year by a, way, by a wide margin. Oh, so that'll I, be something. I think Jameis overtook him. Stafford, that is. We may not have seen no, he didn't. Stafford a bigger first. Sorry, well, James Carry is still up. up there. A bigger difference in cornerback play from week to week that. as what Jamel Dean yeah. did last last week against the Cardinals. So the previous week against the Seahawks, he had given up three touchdowns, nine catches, 155 yards, mm. a 35.8 coverage grade. Yeah. This past week, he jumps up to a 95.6 coverage grade. Mm -hmm. PFF team of the week gives up only one catch for negative two yards, has two pass breakups, and a pick. Passer rating against from 141.4 the previous week to zero <laughs> last week. It was pretty awesome. So those are his two starts mm. in the NFL. Jamel Dean, the linebacker-sized corner, even though he's listed at 6'1", 206, he's really like 220. He is one of the weirdest body types I've ever seen from a cornerback. I remember thinking that, and I'm like, man, this guy's huge, and he just beats people up, and then he goes to the combine and ran a sub 4-4. It's like, I don't remember him being that fast. Yeah. But he's just a fascinating prospect. He's another one of those corners that, you know, Sean uh, Murphy bunting. I mean, they've got all these guys that they've added to, um, to the mix. Got so. rid of Hargreaves for loafing. Is that why it was? Did you see the, so the play that got him cut, apparently, was the Andy Isabella play. Oh, I didn't realize. So Andy Isabella, <laughs> he's got basically two big catches on the season, right? The second one of which came because they literally didn't cover him. Like, they blitzed off the slot, and nobody came to, right, to right, fill. Right. So, like, Isabella just comes off the line, runs a hot route, gets the ball. Now, okay, he turns, like, a 15-yard catch into a 50-yard catch by, like, making some people miss. But what he did is cut to the outside. Hargreaves was the corner coming in from the outside, basically just, like, slowly jogged jogged towards him and then was like oh huh, he's cutting back oh no oh, no and then like so it was uh, uh devin white was the guy that chased him down like hargreaves wasn't even going to get to him so i think that was they were like if you can't stop that happening like get the hell out of here yeah i don't think i've ever been more wrong about a player than vernon all of us I, I, I think I was even at the high. I we really were definitely driving the Hargreaves bandwagon, but he's got all of us kind of liked him, right? Man coverage, footwork, and hips, zone instincts. He stepped in as a true freshman at Florida and was really productive. Like he did so many things well 
to the point where I was like, oh, you can play on the outside, you can play on the slide. The only really bad game he had in college was against Amari Cooper. And it was just like a, it was like a 15-round heavyweight fight. Hmm. Like, he got some good plays. Amari had some good plays. It was back, more back and forth than him getting whooped, right? Yeah. Which is always fun at the college level when you see that. So, um, he's in Houston now, by the way. I mean, that, and again, I, loafing aside, I would still take those types of shots on Hargrave. See if you could figure him out. Like, is he a safety? Is he a slot corner? Like, did you find I mean, other roles for him? Conceptually, I would always take a swing at a guy that crapped out in their first venue as a, you know, as a talented. Yeah. If you like the guy coming out and he busted the first place, I would always take a look at those guys. Yeah. Because why not? Like, what do you got to lose? All right. So I'm taking New Orleans, too. I mean, they're a better team. Yeah. That's why they'll win. But I think this is—I think this is a game. This is a week of good games, because some of these division games will be tight. Falcons, Panthers, the whole NFC South playing shot. I think I think this will be a good game. Winston Breeze shootout. I'll say. Okay. Fair I'll enough. take New Orleans. All right, Denver Broncos at the Minnesota Vikings. This feels a lot like a potential Vikings trap game. Um, Against the six-win Denver Broncos. Yeah, they just beat for the season, not right now. Right, they just beat Dallas. It was a game I don't think that many people thought they would go in and win. They look good doing it. Um, and this, like, Denver's not great. They're starting, you know, not great quarterbacks. There's just not a lot to love in Denver. And if they were and, going to Denver. Right, and it's in Minnesota. If so they were going to Denver. There's really maybe. nothing that says the Vikings should lose this game, which is exactly the kind of game that they will randomly, like, not show up in. Plus, so the other thing that works against Minnesota is you know what their game plan is going to be. Right, they want to do the same thing every single game. They're one of these teams that like we are not changing the game plan for anybody. We're just going to out execute you, which is fine. I mean, we've already seen a team like Kansas City come in there. And go, well, okay, if this is what you want to do, we suck, and we're still able to stop it by just selling out against it. So you know, if a team like Denver wants to blitz that run defense or wants to blitz that uh, that run offense and shut it down and force Kirk Cousins to the air and to make some plays, they can do it. Yeah. This is your stat, right? What's your Kirk Cousins stat? So, you know how it feels like Kirk Cousins has picked up a ridiculous amount of yards on just straight-up bootlegs yeah. and screens? Uh-huh. Do you know how many yards he's gotten on that? I don't, but many. many so, he's yards. the league leader, the most yards on design rollout slash bootlegs. Mm-hmm. Kirk Cousins has 359 yards on those plays. Okay. They're not all just dump-offs. You know, he's had some deep right. passes as well. And then the most yards on screens, also Kirk Cousins, 369 yards. If you just take those two, the percentage of Kirk Cousins' yards that have come on designed, rollout, slash bootlegs, plus screens, makes up 30% of his passing yards. That's, that's a monster number. It's a lot. He's leading the league in both. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Makes sense, right? I mean, that's what this offense is built around. And, and this is what we talk about as far as what you can, if you could scheme up the freebies— and I was on Minnesota radio the other day. So it's almost like, so if we say like an elite quarterback gets you this baseline of production, a good play caller gets you this baseline of production. Yeah. So it's like, so you, get a, oh God. so you get an elite quarterback gets you to here, right? So say you're trying to get to here in yeah. passing production. And a, an elite QB might get you this far. And then an elite play caller might also get you that far. Yeah. Right? And then you take the play caller, Andy Reid, and you stack him onto Mahomes, and then you're here already. Like, you're already starting in a great spot. For anybody listening. And then this is the playmakers. Steve has graduated from 
drawing terrible pie charts to drawing terrible stacked, bar, stacked, stacked bar charts. Bar. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the play calling in Minnesota. So you're basically working your way through the like Excel charts. Yeah. Like no. the suggested ones. So this is like your baseline of production. You can get it from the quarterback. You can get it from the play caller. Yeah. Minnesota's getting it from the play caller. Okay. Got all that? Huh. Yeah. They're all getting right. it from from screens, from play action. Let's delete this nonsense. Yeah. Or just never that, draw in the first place. Did that make your point? Did that make a point, though? I mean, it made a point. So they're doing a good job of creating some free, some free yardage for Kirk. Yes. Consequently, Kirk looks relatively good this season. Yeah. And again, that's not to take anything away from he's made more good throws than bad throws since week two. He's done a really nice job on those bootlegs and on regular passing plays. You can't run a bootleg every single time. But the Vikings are doing a nice job of creating passing offense. They are, yeah. And I mean, then Dalvin Cook's run the ball really well. And they're doing it without Adam Thielen, who's been down with a hamstring for the yeah. last couple of weeks. You know, obviously Kyle Rudolph had a big game last week. They've had Irv Smith step up at times. Irv's uh, been a great compliment to Rudolph. He has, yeah. I mean, yeah. They, so, you know, there, there are multiple different ways of going beyond your first couple of targets, right? The Vikings are a team that wants to try and use multiple tight ends as much as possible. We talked about Cleveland potentially using multiple running backs, and they're obviously the teams that rely on the slot receiver a ton. There's a bunch of different ways of skinning the same cat, Steve. I think when you look at the Irv Smith pick in the second round, it was a perfect example of we're going to get this second-round tight end, and we know exactly how he's going to fit into our, to our offense. We're going to re-sign Kyle Rudolph. He's going to be the big in-line tight end. Irv Smith's going to be more of the move guy, create a little bit out of the slot. He's going to catch a lot of those bootlegs in the flat and create after the catch. From a team-building standpoint, I mean, that's, I think that's how, a really nice job of creating value out of a second-round tight end, knowing how you're going to use him, knowing where his skill set fits in, and then executing that. So that's been good for them. I still like the Vikings in this game, trap game or not. I mean, right Same. There. Though it really wouldn't shock me if they lost it. Um, real quick, any, how worried are you about Minnesota's defense um, going forward? It, again, it depends. So I think the defense is good. It's not great. Um, I think it's been that way most of the time that Zimmer's been there. Um, he's been able, he's like caught lightning in a bottle. Once. Would you say Zimmer gets you to like a okay. baseline of? Good, yeah. Um, I, you know, I think he basically caught lightning in a bottle one year. The defense was amazing. Every other year he'll get you to good, probably not great. Um, I, we've talked all year long. They, they have problems at cornerback. Um, they don't have anyone that's particularly good there. Trey Waynes may be their best corner. He's been out. Even Trey Waynes is pretty flawed, you know? Like, the guy is reasonable. Um, he can't cover people like Tyreek Hill. Now, you can argue who can, fair enough, but he really can. Xavier Rhodes has not been the same player he was earlier in his career. I think injuries have caught up with him. He just d- doesn't look the same guy. Mike Hughes, I think there's a lot to work with there, but he's young. He's coming off these knee injuries. He's working his way back. Holton Hill has been surprisingly good when he's been on the field, but he's like five minutes away from his next suspension, which yeah. will like remove him from the field for a year if he gets that one. So I, I don't know. And Mackenzie Alexander has turned into like a reasonable slot corner who they don't trust that much. And, you know, ultimately, I think they also think Mike Hughes is a slot guy. So ultimately, I don't know that Mackenzie Alexander has a space on the roster beyond like the fifth corner. So, 
you, I mean, ultimately, you're just in a situation where, yeah, if you have top-level receivers, they're going to struggle to cover them because none of those guys can really get it done. Um, and honestly, I think it might be a bigger problem going forward than it is right now. Like, they need, they need guys like Mike Hughes to really become something good for this thing to be viable down the line. They could use a guy like Holton Hill getting his head straight. But right now, it's a case of, all right, when we run up against a Dallas that has Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, you know, Randall Cobb that we can't forget about, they are vulnerable to getting, you know, ripped to pieces. It's a lot of what ifs. Yeah. The good news is they have one of the best pass rushes in the NFL. Like, Donnell Hunter and Everson Griffin, I think, are number one and two, or one and three in terms of total pressures this season. They're arguably both having career years at the same time. That's helpful. Like, that will cover a lot of problems in the secondary, but the problems remain. All right. Fair assessment of the Vikings. Arizona Cardinals at the San Francisco 49ers. They just played like two weeks ago. Yeah, they're back playing again. I hate those quick turnarounds. It does kind of, yeah, it feels a little weird, right, that this game just happened. I already know how it went. I don't really need to see the bounce back game two weeks later. They don't always end up the same way, though. Come no, on. I know, but it's like, you know, just put some distance between it. Well, you know, yeah, whatever. Kyler against the Niners defense, always a fun watch now. Mm-hmm. Yes. The other thing I'm really interested in is the, uh, the Russian pencil snap watch. Yes, of course. Uh, Andy. Yeah. For anyone that wasn't listening way back when, Andy Isabella is the Russian pencil. And the reason for that is that Andy Isabella had a tendency, particularly from the slot, to run routes in a dramatically more complex fashion than is necessary to just get the hell open, right? So when he's, like, running a five-yard out, there would be, like, four different fakes in there before he eventually made a cut out and was just open anyway because that's what that does. That was analogous to the Russian pencil story, which I'm pretty sure is apocryphal, but whatever. The (laughs) NASA spent all these millions of dollars creating a pen that would write underwater in zero-G, upside down, in space, all this kind of stuff. The Russians used a pencil. So they went, you know, far more complicated than is necessary, just like Andy Isabella. Anywho. Anyway. Isabella has two really big plays this season, um, but his snap counts have been going up. So last week was by far the highest snap count of his season, 26 of 67 possible offensive snaps. The highest total before that had been 12. He hit 12 twice, 10 another time. Every other game was single digits. So this is the first time where he was actually a significant part of the offense um, and had a big play in there. Now, the big play happened because they didn't cover him, and Vernon Hargreaves was on the field. So, you know. That's not going to happen this week. Right, but twice we've seen him essentially. When he's been given the ball in his hands, he's got the speed and the skill to make something pretty big happen. Yeah. So, um, you know, I want to see more of that, damn it. That's fair. Thank you. See more. Let's see more Russian pencil. I want to see what Jimmy G does here. Yeah. He had his best game of the season against Arizona in week nine. And now he's coming off his worst game of the season. I think it was five turnover-worthy plays. It was bad. May have been six. Really bad. But this was, it's kind of like what we've said with Goff right now. Like, why are you throwing the ball to the other team so consistently? There, He just looks skittish yeah. in the pocket at times. Two bad fumbles. And then when he did throw the ball, it's just like, you didn't see the linebacker. You just. So that's the thing. So a lot of people will be like, well, yeah, it was worst game of the season, but no, um, no, George Kittle, Debo San- or Emmanuel Sanders went down. He went down. Like yeah. He lost. He lost his weapons. Like, yeah, well, sure, but that, that 
This, just because the guy isn't George Kittle doesn't mean you don't see the linebacker. He's not changing, right. he's not that's, warping space-time around him. That's the bigger issue. Like, the fact that he went 24 for 46, fine. They've dropped five passes. They right. probably should have caught another six or, like six or seven, on you know, total. So it's less about that. It's more about the turnover stuff yeah. for him. Like, George Kittle doesn't come equipped with a highlighting device for opposing defenders around him. Like, <laughs> right. just because he's not on the field doesn't mean you should randomly not see players that you're throwing the ball right to. But even in previous games where the Niners were rolling, it's like one bad like against the Rams a few weeks back, one bad random end yeah. zone decision for a pick. I mean, there was he hasn't the turnover-worthy well plays have been an issue for Garoppolo. Yeah. He hasn't been playing that well this year. And I honestly think overall that's a good thing for the 49ers because they've been rolling. And the most important p- position on the field hasn't been playing great for them. So if yeah. that ever does come right... Like, at that point, how do you even beat this team? It's kind of like what we were saying with heading into last season when Matt Nagy got there with the Bears. Like, the situation is great. If Trubisky just gets to decent, like, that team is phenomenal. Now, obviously, that didn't go so well. But the theory, I think, is sound, which is if everything else other than the quarterback is going really well and you know the quarterback has more, in theory, when he gets there, you you become really good. Same with sort of uh, the Indianapolis Colts. And Jacoby Brissett. Siri just started listening to you. Right, why is that? What did I say? I don't know, but it was like ready to look up Russian pencils and stuff like that. Probably. I was listening to a podcast recently where the guy said, okay, Google on it. And my phone was like, mm-hmm. yep. See, he's just done it there. Jeez. Wow. Or whatever, like me sitting in the room next to it. But the actual podcast was able to turn the, the okay Google thing off. Do you care that the government's stalking you and listening to everything? It's like, I don't care that much. I'm not doing all that much illegal activity. I'm not doing anything illegal. <laughs> so, I don't, so I don't care. A lot of people care a lot. I mean, the fact that we're just being stalked. I mean, I don't care a lot, obviously, because it's you know still functioning. Yeah. I haven't turned it off or anything. But it's, I, it's, it doesn't please me. Like I, every, time it, every time I start getting ads for things that, that we've talked about. Is Neil listening? Probably. Every time I start getting ads for things that we discussed while like, no, walking to the donut shop. Yeah. That starts... That, that doesn't sit tremendously well with me. I like donuts. Advertise donuts to me. I don't. I want the ads less than the free ones. If you can make it, get us a, like a donor. A donut Send sponsor. free donuts Thank over here, now. Siri. Find free donuts for me. <laughs> um. By the way, I just want to see. I told you, Kyler, the other day. He's got this. He's starting to play with a little bit of that confidence and slinging it. And I, I want to see if he goes on a run here in the second half. Not yeah. saying they're going to win a ton of games or any of that. I just want to see if he just gets more and more comfortable over the second half of the season. Another tough challenge, though, against this Niners defense, their pass rush. By the way, Nick Bosa, the number two graded edge defender in all of looks incredible. the NFL right now. Do you have those numbers handy about the transition that this uh, uh, Cardinals offense has undertaken from the 10 personnel that everybody... Um, yeah. You know, we always talked about at the start that this whatever I texted to you, this team is going to have it, it plays ten personnel. That's what it runs. It's way more than anybody else. Now it's still way more than anybody else, but they have transitioned from a, a ten personnel, which is one bank, zero tight ends, four wide receivers, um, to more of a of something else. Do you know half of my tweets from you on a Sunday are just you yelling out Higgins? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. All the guys that, of mine that make plays. So they used 10 personnel 168 times the first four weeks. Mm-hmm. 
168 times in four weeks. That's a lot. And then going into last week, they'd only used it 65 times yeah. since. So I didn't update the numbers. But the point was, yes, a complete shift on offense. It was a lot more 11 personnel since that point, you know, using a lot more tight ends. And, you know, I think, you know, Kyler's numbers have been better since that point. I think the offense has looked cleaner since that point. Remember, my early analysis, it, was, it looked like they were just like running air raid plays instead of running an offense that builds off of each other yeah and now um it's just running a little bit smoother i think in arizona Mm -hmm. so i think this will be a sneaky good game too even though it's in san francisco really i think these division games are going to be pretty good this week division games are always funky that way yeah but i still think the 49ers win this pretty handily you know what so cincinnati Bengals at the oakland radio i'm taking the niners too same Bengals at raiders we're all starting to buy into the raiders all of us like, people are starting, like, George oh, okay. is like, man, I'm ready to jump on this. Well, he's the crowning Gruden coach of the year or something. He's not crowning him. He's just, he's going to be, like, ready in week 16. Like, there's some things that he's anticipating will happen where we're going to look back and be like, wow, John's actually done a really good job. Huh. My general Raiders take, though, this is the team from two, the, what they should have been last year. <laughs> Plus, they're playing a last-place schedule, right? And, you know, they got Carr playing a little bit better. I don't. And that's what they are, but... Is this is this the, like the game? Like, all right, we got expectations for the Raiders. They're going to kill the Bengals, and it's gonna, it's actually going to be a good game. Uh, no, no. Raiders roll here. Yeah. Okay. This is apparently only the third time in the last fifteen years that they have been favored by double digit points heading into a game. Third time in fifteen years. Yeah, I think it was Rick that said that. What was fifteen years, years ago? ago? Where are we now? Twenty nine. Oh four. Yeah. So what would have, which one of their teams would have been favored by that much? Maybe 2016? I don't know. When they were good against. 2016 probably, yeah. Against like a bad Osweiler-led Texan now because they played in the playoffs. I'm not going to try to remember no, what the other games Let's were. not try and reverse engineer this. Let's just accept Probably when Bruce fine. was a QB. Definitely. That's exactly what it was. Um, what's intriguing to me is that we are, everybody's so excited about this team I don't think they've won a game by more than a touchdown yet, have they? I mean, you have the schedule, you're looking at it. I know, but I'm really bad at math on the fly while I'm talking. So I don't think they've won a game yet by more than this is a preseason game. This is a preseason. So that's eight points, still a one score. Beat the Colts Lost. by seven. I don't think they've won a game by more than one score, is what I'm saying. Lost to the Texans, beat the line, yeah. So as much as we're all like, I mean, Ten and a half point favorites this week. They haven't. They literally haven't done that yet this season, despite winning games and everybody, you know, saying, "Hey, they can win the division." It's be closer not. than you think. Well, it could be. Yeah. Um, I just generally, I, there's a lot of love heading towards the Raiders right now, towards Gruden, towards, "Hey, this team's really good. They're cooking. They could be winning the division." They, you know, it's, uh, they haven't won a game yet by more than a score. This is the beauty of the NFL, though, right? They. I think this is the team they should have been last year. Yeah. A seven to, uh, a six to nine win team, right? Where the difference between those few games is a few points. You know, a three win a three point win here, a two point win there, or loss, whatever it is. So now they're doing that this year. Sneak a few games in, whatever. But then you're playing the last place schedule. So it's like, oh, we get to play the Bengals. Oh, we get to play the Jets. So they've stumbled into this place where things are going pretty well. And I don't want to completely take things away from the Raiders. They haven't completely stumbled. But here they are at 5-4, and four, 
and then you get the Jets and the Bengals, and all of a sudden it's like, man, you're going to be seven and four going up against the Chiefs in two weeks. That's the three weeks. Thing, right? They do have a legitimate chance of winning this this division. They put themselves in a position where they're a game back from the Chiefs, with the Chiefs still to play. But a good proxy for just how lucky have you been is just record versus points for points against your point differential. Right, their point differential. I don't think it's good at all. It's negative. Yeah, they're five and four, but they've they're um, negative thirty two. Negative thirty two. They've scored two oh eight. They've given up two forty, which is eighth highest in the league. I'm not doing per game right now, but <laughs> they're negative thirty two. Yeah, that's not great. Here's the, the interesting thing, though, is that this is another game where Cleveland Furl, hmm. as a, I'm, I'm told it's pronounced, yes, Furl is going to eat because he's going up against the Bengals' offensive line, which is in ribbons. So he's, this is going to be another like three sack game. We're going to be see the Raiders are right to take him that high, and he probably it's going to be a three sack game in which he has four total pressures. But he was going up against the Bengals. That could happen, and everyone's going to be saying, "See, he was amazing." And Ryan Finley, uh huh? Yeah. Well, this, so this is another. This is a perfect game for them in that their offense should score against Cincinnati's defense, and Cincinnati's offense is just a disaster right now. So. There's a pretty good chance that they're they're their defense is, is able to roll. This is the game where Ryan Finley shows a little bit of signs of life, but Josh Jacobs running the ball against this rough Bengals uh, run defense, something to keep an eye on for. Okay. Jacobs is number one in missed tackles per attempt. Yeah, he's in, been an really, elusive rating, really, really good in the NFL. We all taking Oakland? I believe so. Monster favorites. All right, two games to get through. Chicago Bears at Los Angeles Rams on Sunday Night Football. Looks like a fantastic matchup earlier in the season. And now both teams fighting for their playoff lives. Yeah. um, The Bears in particular, the thing I'm most interested in is we did see, we finally saw signs of life from Trubisky. Mm -hmm. You know, the hope we've been saying for a few weeks now that, look, he was playing so badly that he couldn't possibly maintain this level of terrible play for the rest of the year. Like at some point... He had to bounce back, and he had a really, really quite good game. Now, I don't expect him to continue that level, but if he splits the difference and it's just okay, the, like the Bears are genuinely a different team if Trubisky goes from being horrendous to being all right. Yeah, just like the Rams are a different team if Jared Goff goes from being pretty good to horrendous, like he did last week and against the Niners a couple weeks ago. Can't figure out Goff. He had a fifty-two. He had a fifty-point-two grade. He has three. Let's just put it like this. Have you texted Zach to find out what's wrong with him? No, I'm afraid to. <laughs> In case he tells you, like Zach, what happened here? A. Why is Jared Goff playing so badly? And B. Why haven't you fixed it? Yeah, could you fix it real quick? Mm-hmm. He has three games under. We'll say sixty and under. PFF grade because he was a sixty week one against Carolina, fifty-seven point eight against Tampa Bay. In a game that he scored through for 500 yards, by the way, because he had all those turnover-worthy plays. That was the best game Chris Sims has ever seen from him. Uh, 50.2 grade against San Francisco when he threw for 78. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a stat that has to be real okay. in a second. And then he had a 56.8 last week against Pittsburgh. This is a made-up stat that has to be real. There's definitely never been a quarterback that's had a bigger disparity in the most yards that they've thrown in a game and the fewest yards that they've thrown in a game, assuming that they started and finished the game. He had 517 
against Tampa Bay and 78 <laughs> against the Niners. You're, that almost certainly has to be a record. Right? right? What's that, like 440-yard difference or yeah. whatever it is? I mean, there aren't that many people that are even capable of splitting that difference just in terms of the top end. That's awesome, isn't it? Yeah. He threw for 517 and then two weeks later came back and threw 78. That's, yeah, remarkable. So, yeah, Goff, um, you know, earlier in the year it was easier to defend because, hey, they weren't running the ball. It's a little ugly. He's missing more throws than he should, but they're still putting up a ton of points. But they scored three against San Francisco, three against Pittsburgh offensively. You take away the defensive stuff, and that's really concerning. I mean, he has been – his just statistic, his grades haven't been all over the place. They have, I mean, a little bit, but like his statistical output's been just really all over the place. Yeah. I mean, it's int- it, it is interesting watching him because, again, a lot like Jimmy Garoppolo, they're just making weird decisions. Like last year, we reached a point where he'd stopped making the bad plays and was adding legitimate value over and above what the offense was scheming up for him, which was significant. Yeah. Like Jared Goff, even last year, was more a product of his off, of of his offensive system than most quarterbacks in the NFL. But he was adding a layer of value on top of that. So you think the Vikings it's game, almost like a right, you think stacked stop, bar chart. Stop it now. You think the Vikings, you think the Chiefs game, like there were plays out there where he was adding a layer of value on top of the scheme which was getting into that ridiculous level already. This year, a the offense is struggling more, but he's not only is he not necessarily adding a ton of the value add plays, but now he's making these just bad decisions that are putting the ball in harm's way way more often than he should be. And I don't understand what the reason for that is beyond the fact that everything in this offense is not functioning as well as it used to. Obviously, he's under more pressure than he was before because the offensive line has problems. But, you know, again, they don't explain all those plays. And, and it's confusing to me. Yeah, hmm. it is very confusing. So can I bring you a, a thing that I wanted to fit in for the Bengals, but I couldn't find the tweet. In yes, yes, yes. Do it. You know, our good friend, Eric Stangle. Is that how you pronounce that? Oh, yeah. He was former a former Letterman, yeah, uh, former Letterman writer, just generally tweets funny things on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, there was an article out there from NBC New York um, and Eric Stangle re- quote tweeted this and said, we now have a better term than dumpster fire. Right. So, you know, dumpster fire, the standard term for things that are just a complete disaster at the moment. I wanted to apply this to the Bengals' offensive line, but couldn't find it in time. The phrase that the NBC New York used was a bucket of hot diarrhea poured on California woman in random attack. But bucket of hot diarrhea is the new dumpster fire. That's the new dumpster fire? Yeah. That's the Bengals? I'm all in favor of using that in, in exchange for, the new, for dumpster fire. Bucket of hot diarrhea. Jeez, Eric. It's a good contribution to uh, Twitter. I've been following Eric since like 2011. Yeah, I've been following him for a long time as well. I don't even know where where I stumbled across. He was like early Twitter years. He would he would just like tweet at random celebrity. He would play a game called Sup. Yeah, yeah. He would pick four random celebrities, and all he would say is Sup to them, and then you'd vote on which one would say Sup back. And that was his game. He'd do it every day. Early Twitter was just like him and sports by Brooks. Yeah. They're like, they were the only guys that had more than like right. 50,000 followers, <laughs> and the rest of us had 12. Yeah. 
And you just like back in the days when, uh, when Ian Rappaport had ten thousand followers, yeah, and now he's got like a million. Or you always tell that story, like you've watched him grow, dude. Right? I remember. I, I, I was used to DM the guy back when he was whatever for in Boston with like ten thousand followers, giving him tidbits. Oh man, Twitter. now the guy's got like whatever he has, millions of followers. How have I been on Twitter? Blanking people, long? looking past them for the next interesting person he could talk to. Twitter used to just be so much fun. The guy has two point one million followers now. Yeah. Like the night we found out about Manti Teo's girl, uh, fake girlfriend. And, uh, you know, you just, you're, you're like seeing the investigation unfold at, you know, Brian, in real Twitter. time, right, on yeah. Twitter. I mean, now that's everything on Twitter. Right. Now with Twitter, it's like, oh, Russell Wilson, MVP. No, no, he threw the MVP away. Now he's MVP again. No, he threw it away. Yeah. Every play. But back then, we were, un- we were doing research. <laughs> Solving crimes. I remember the, bo- the, uh, the marathon bombings in Boston getting like real-time updates when they were tracking down the yeah. suspects you know like wondering if they were gonna like they were 20 minutes from my house but like wondering how close they were gonna get and right. various things like i mean it was it's pretty intense old school twitter yeah all right so we both went to rams yeah taking the rams a couple of people went to chicago i split with neil on this one so that might be the game that uh puts me over the top for the lead this could be it could be it all right let's wrap it up with monday night football kansas city chiefs at the los angeles the chargers how about los angeles just hosting both primetime games here yeah that'll be a problem when they share a stadium yeah certainly if especially if fans don't show up that true yeah looks um, ugly we're all taking kansas city in this one but why i mean the, the chargers <laughs> are two weeks away two weeks removed from essentially demoralizing the packers what the hell was with that though I don't know. It didn't make any sense. Was that just like the Packers no-showed and then Rodgers called out all his team out, like teammates? Like they just didn't show up? I, I think there are a sequence of games every year that just make no logical sense. But football is a close enough game. Yeah, and 80% of them are Titans games. Yes. And then the rest of the league gets 20% of right. them. Right. But football is, is a game that relies on small enough sample sizes and individual plays here or there where freaky results can happen in a way they don't necessarily with other sports. You know what's fun for the picks is the Titans aren't playing this week, so... Yes. It's like, can avoid that headache. Derwin is two games away from coming back. Week 13, apparently, is when he's supposed to. I'll just sit out the rest of the season at that point, man. No, you want Derwin back on the field? I I would play him a tight end opposite Hunter Henry. Huh. Okay. Chiefs defense has to figure something out at some point. Yes. Or it's going to be a lost season. Well, yeah. So the, the Chiefs defense is bad enough right now that it completely negates the advantage that the offense gives them. Yeah. Like, it's bad enough that any offense they face looks as good as the Kansas City offense, which is ridiculous because it shouldn't. So does the Chiefs defense figure something out this week, or does it make Phillip Rivers and the Chargers offense look every bit as good as the Chiefs offense? Rivers is so weird right now, too. He's still he, he's coming off that game that he seems to have every year where it's like, why are you chucking it to the defense left and right and all that stuff? But he is still... I was recently going through a whole bunch of plays throughout the year. He's still got plays where it's like guys in his face and he's flipping it and he's feeling it. Like as much as everybody wants to just create narratives when guys are going to fall off the cliff and all that stuff. And it's easy to say Philip Rivers because he's been in the league for a while. He's losing it. I don't think he's like he's got like slight deterioration of physical still skills, but he's still more than capable of making all the throws he's made through the years. He still stands in there and tries to. You know, like all that stuff. Like, we saw Eli deteriorate and also just made fewer throws and fewer throws and fewer throws. Yeah. And, but there were still times he could, like, look reasonable. Like, like, Rivers is a step above him, and 
still kind of maintain that if that all makes sense like he's still capable so last year his two games against kansas city were almost exactly the same grade um 74.9 in week one and 73.9 in week 15 his stats were really good 424 yards in the first game 300 plus in the second game both over eight yards per attempt um but they were like they were basically two reasonably average games for rivers but I, I mean, I really – so that was a bad defense as well. Like, it's kind of the same old story for the Chiefs. He made, he made one of the throws of the season in the second game. Fourth down, anticipation post was Travis Benjamin. Just, like, threw it, like, way before his break, put it right on him. I mean, he made some big throws in that second matchup. Yeah, there were three interceptions across those two games as well. So, I mean, basically, it's just it's interesting to see whether this defense is going to be able to figure anything out or whether they'll make Phillip Rivers look like a match – for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense, which it shouldn't be. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think it'll be shootout, a shootout again. I think that's what we're going to see. I think that's going to be every game. And the chart, the Chargers won the second matchup against the Chiefs last year. They got a little bit of pressure on Mahomes, especially late. They had a key sack. You know, they kept it close throughout the game, and then just made a few key plays in the fourth quarter. And if there is a coverage unit, I know they're not the same that they've been coming into the year. But if there is one that could potentially slow down the chiefs the chargers have you know yeah they've got some personnel to do it they do though again like everybody they don't have anyone that can cover tyree hill they do not but you know division game see where it lands Mm -hmm. i am picking kansas city as is everybody i am too chargers are only 18th in coverage this year but it's like again i'm I'm saying like they're high-end stuff capable they've definitely got the ability to get better than that they just haven't been yet uh, Mahomes was pretty awesome last week. Still, yeah, left a couple. Of th- I feel like he's got. I know he threw for four hundred. He still has like a monster game in him somewhere that yeah. he hasn't played yet. He he's the guy that so because he makes all the spectacular plays. I think everybody overlooks the stuff that's manufactured for him. Yeah, so it's almost like he gets you to a baseline, and then you get Andy Reid's play calling, and all, right there you're at Pro Bowl level. What stacked bar graph paints this picture perfectly? Yeah, it might do for anyone who if, can see it. Because if you have Mahomes, for anyone that's listening, less so. I'm describing it. And then if you have Mahomes' great ability and you don't have a great play play caller, then you just don't get to that next level. Go ahead. Sorry. What the hell was I saying? Uh, they overlook the easy stuff. Yeah. So uh, somebody, you know, you talk about quarterbacks. Everybody wants to find the thing, the reason that they suck, right? Yeah. So somebody was bitching about Drew Brees. Like, oh, he's never thrown a deep ball, yada, yada. Drew Brees has a higher percentage of his passing yards this season that have come through the air as opposed to after the catch than Patrick Mahomes has. Huh. So Patrick Mahomes, you know what I mean? Like everyone thinks of Patrick Mahomes, this guy firing deep bombs left, right, and center, but a higher percentage of his plays or his passing yards have come after the catch than Drew Brees. I didn't realize that. Like Patrick Mahomes gets a ton of stuff manufactured for him. Now, again, like there's nuance to this, right? That doesn't mean Patrick Mahomes is a complete product of the system. He then adds all these crazy plays, the outside of structure stuff, the deep bombs, the, you know, all this stuff. He's, but the two of them are working together. And, you, you know, I think because he makes all the spectacular plays, everyone just forgets about the other stuff. It's yeah. like, well, it didn't even happen. It's all Patrick Mahomes. Whereas realistically, it's both those things working together. And that's why the offense is, is as good as it is. And, and again, the difference between Mahomes this year and last year is he 
didn't miss a lot of that stuff. Yeah. He didn't miss a lot of the easy stuff last year. This year he has been I mean, even, at a higher know, rate. I think last week, the, you know, the Miko Hardman thing, it's a decent play, but he then goes, like, turns that into something insane by yeah. burning everybody alive and just scre- uh, screaming down the sideline. You know, I think, I think generally people ignore a lot of what Patrick Mahomes gets created for him because of the high-end stuff that he does. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it'll be an awesome Monday night matchup. Hopefully. Hopefully. As you can see, I'm very optimistic about this weekend. Apparently. A lot of good games. games. Plus Buffalo, Miami, and Cincinnati, Oakland. (laughs) Oh, so so that's it, guys. Week 11, that's your preview. We out. We're going to be back on Monday morning. True. Recapping all of it. Where's the music, Ken? Ken, you're usually, you're usually playing me off. What's going on? Ken's out of here. It's Tyler now. It's Ty- oh, Tyler's not, he's not pushing me. He's a slacker. Oh, he wants us to push PFF Elite. Oh. That's why. Okay. PFF Elite. Go check it out. Premium Stats 2.0. That's how you guys get all the stats and grades that we're using. Stats and grades, green line, betting advice, all kinds of good stuff there. PFF draft, Shop. Draft Guide. Draft information as we as your team sucks. We we a, there's a midseason draft. draft guide if you guys you know Dolphins fans, Bengals fans. If you guys want the midseason draft guide, it's all part of your Edge or Elite package. It's all in there. Mm-hmm. Now we're out. Now we're out. Week eleven. Everybody enjoy it. Talk to you guys again on Monday. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did go check out kyler murray and his nfl debut that's my favorite thing about nfl game pass you can go back and watch at any time and if you haven't watched a condensed game yet you have to try it out it's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire nfl game in the fraction of the time it normally takes it's how i'm able to follow all the mvp candidates all the breakout stars and of course your waiver wire pickups all season long to see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus NFL.